All right, good evening. Welcome to the Whatevery Show. This is going to be our podcast about uh, whatever whatever our nerd passions are for the week. Um, we're going to be your hosts probably pretty regularly. I'm Matt, and uh, and on the other end, we got Eddie. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> and uh, and you can follow us at Whatevery Show on Twitter, should you so desire. This week, we talk about Daredevil, why being an adult has its perks, uh, The Walking Dead, and our video gaming habits, or lack thereof. So this is our podcast. First one. First one. I figure this is probably going to run over Daredevil a lot. Yeah, I, it's it's what's new, you know what I mean? Um, right. I, I haven't watched Arrow yet this week, so I'm not caught up on that. Uh, there was no new Flash this week, so... Um, it pisses me off how much they skip weeks. My nerd boner just totally deflated, because I was planning right. on coming home from work today and watching that, and then jump into daredevil and the worst nerd blue balls from not having yeah just it wasn't there and the wife's not into arrow nearly as much so i couldn't watch it did they do one this week uh i think they did didn't they i think there was an arrow this week but i don't i don't there i know there wasn't a flash but i think there was an arrow and it wasn't bad so daredevil's pretty much it i watched two episodes that's that's i i actually just finished the second one probably about a half hour before you got here so yeah i'm three in uh it's amazing. Uh, I, I dig it so far. Yeah. And, well, okay, first off, you can't talk about Daredevil without talking about the abortion of a movie that came before and then thinking about like how it's going to compare to that. Um, but uh, I, I sort of think that, and this is just sort of how movies and things go, but anything with Marvel's actual name on it, as in Marvel's blah, 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 Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Marvel's Daredevil, Marvel's... You know the Avengers. Anything with Marvel's name on it these days is just freaking gold. Uh, it's it's been like that, yeah, certainly. Um, Daredevil. I was really amazed. I got some notes here. Um, I guess we could probably just jump into it. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, one of the things I noticed about it is is they did do an origin story at the beginning, but it was really concise. Like there wasn't a huge oh, yeah. lead in. Um, you know, instead of it being the first twenty minutes of a of a fifty two minute episode, it was it was five minutes. Um, which I, I felt good about because you, you still get the story. But you're not bored by the time it's over. I was really happy with that too because... And actually, I think they could have gotten away with a little bit of a longer origin for a Daredevil because I don't think he's as popular as, say, Spider-Man. Like, it's not like we need to see Spider-Man's origin for the 47th time. But Daredevil, I don't think, is as popular. So I thought they could have gotten away with doing a longer origin, but I'm kind of glad they didn't because Daredevil's origin... I mean, the, the five minutes and they pretty much nailed it. I mean, there, there's some flat. I like the flashbacky element when they're talking to, or when uh, it's flashing back and forth from present day to when he's talking with Battle and Jack. That I thought was really cool. But I'm, I like you said, I'm really glad they didn't stretch out like twenty minutes of origin story. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, how do you feel about Matt Murdock or or, or the character, the the actor, the actor Charlie Cox? Yeah. Actually, I was. Um, Kind of reticent to him about that because maybe with the exception of Superman, it seems like they're casting small guys for what are typically is like supposed to be gigantic superhero type figures. Um, and so when I first saw Charlie Cox, I was kind of like, I don't know if that works. And then within like four minutes of the episode, I was like, well, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, he kind of, to me, is what I, I kind of felt Daredevil is or feel that he is in the comics um his hair is obviously not as red there's there's you know he doesn't yeah. have the, the the shocker red hair at the top but 
they didn't paint him with a marker. But he did. He does. He does kind of seem a little bit more comic book Matt Murdock than I think the Ben Affleck. Um, and obviously, I don't. I don't want anybody listening to this thinking I'm, I'm, I'm slamming Ben Affleck because I actually have a higher opinion of his presence in in the Daredevil movie. Uh, than a lot of people. I think that was mostly a uh, terrible script to start with and a lack of direction. Oh, yeah. So I think it's funny, like, there's so much reticence about Affleck being in Batman now um, when he's actually, like, a good actor. Like, the guy the guy has done all kinds of movies and he's been critically acclaimed in quite a lot of them. He's done some pretty crap movies, too. Uh, Paycheck. But... Uh, I think the name says it all. Yeah. To, to steal a line from Kevin Smith. Yeah. But... Uh, it, I don't know. There, there were so many problems with Daredevil. I don't think that he it could have been. Um, you name your actor, Kevin Spacey could have played Daredevil, and he wouldn't. You still wouldn't have been believable. The the acting in that movie was absolutely not not his downfall. Um, it was it was definitely. I mean, I honestly I appreciated Ben Affleck's portrayal of Matt Murdock, and I, I didn't hate Colin Farrell as Bullseye. In fact, I thought his performance is probably the standout performance in the movie. Oh yeah, that- so. That I, th- I don't know if that was the first time I really kind of became aware of Colin Farrell, but to me that was kind of the first time he was really like a big deal. Yeah, and and, and honestly, when I noted in my notes here that, that this is very obviously not Ben Affleck, um, what I was trying to, to, to say with that is I think that's a good thing because there is so much hatred toward that movie, and I wanted, I wanted the Daredevil series to end up being apart from that. Totally. They needed to step away from it. I mean, they needed to step away from the Daredevil movie without being, uh, I guess, super, super blatant about it. And I thought they did pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much that they stepped away from the Daredevil movie as it is they stepped into Marvel's Daredevil. Like, it really, really felt a lot more like the the Daredevil that I read, you know, like, not like, um, you know, some sort of over-adapted Hollywood version. Yeah. No, I... I... I agree, and I think that uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this Daredevil fits in with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, And and I I don't know how much of a presence he's going to have later on in any of the movies, um, if he will have a presence in the movies. Um, But obviously, they don't do these things and tie them together in one universe to not utilize that later. So, oh god, I would be real bummed if he doesn't at least get a, a nod in there somewhere. Like he can't take a. Or, I mean, he can't. He he could probably get away with as much screen time as Hawkeye gets. They they used uh, um, so many elements, and they particularly hinted at, at a couple of parts of you know the Avengers and stuff like that. Like I can't remember what episode it's in, but in one episode where they're sitting there be, uh, with the um, reporter guy, have you gotten that far yet? With um, no, no. Okay, so the reporter guy, just when you see him, he's sitting at his desk, and behind his desk, look at the wall. And you'll see there's hints. I mean, they're not overt about um, it being the same universe, which I think is kind of smart. You know, in the same way that I don't think Guardians was really overt about it being part of the MCU. I mean, there's not really a lot of hints directly towards Earth and the Avengers and stuff like that, other than the link between Thanos and all that. But um, it wasn't like uh, in your face like they were with um, the earlier Marvel movies. I, I actually really think that's a good idea because... I mean, how would Star-Lord even know about the events of uh, oh, yeah. New York yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that? Beans, he's been in space for his Ever. entire yeah, adult life. So, But I also like it, too, because it gives a little bit of distance, because um, Daredevil is really sort of a darker story, and they, they 
they don't go super dark with the story, but I mean, they certainly don't shy away from a little blood either. But a little they... bit of blood, a little bit of language. I think. I, I think when you're telling a story that takes place in Hell's Kitchen, I think that's a good idea. I was really happy with the TVMA rating. Oh, me got. too. Me too. I was, and I was actually kind of afraid that they were going to go try to lighten up on that too much and try to make it too much like, uh, um, you know, I I wouldn't say the the rest of the MCU is PG thirteen or, or PG. It's probably PG thirteen ish or pushing PG thirteen. And a Daredevil blows past it, but not real far. I mean, it's not like you're suddenly watching Game of Thrones or something like that. But sure, sure. they they definitely don't like uh, um, get too ridiculous, but they definitely don't shy away from much either. So, um, I I actually I had a couple more notes on Matt Murdock himself here too. Um, I really covered the comic book one, the um, the his intro costume. I, I can't wait to see how long it takes us to see the red. Did you did you already skip? Uh, did you see the spoilers? Did you see the costume online? Um, you 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 know you I didn't actually. I've intentionally not looked at anything online. Uh, I, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. It's not quite what I was expecting, but on the other hand, it's not bad either. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they went with the pat uh, the 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 intro costume and. Even kind of hint at that. I think episode two is where he meets the the nurse, right? Yeah, and and I got a whole section on her. So yeah, but um, I think she even makes a joke about it at some point. Like you really should put on some armor, um, or something like that, because you you're clearly not that good at not getting stabbed. So see, and, I, and so I'm gonna confess to not having read a lot of older Dare, Daredevil books. No. I mean, Especially, especially not some of the like the the volume one and and things like that. Um, in fact, I don't even know if I read the Kevin Smith books to be honest. I can't remember what run it was. It's a fairly I, I've read a fairly recent run, um, through the Marvel Comics app thing, Marvel Unlimited gotcha. through Marvel Unlimited. I read a bunch of those, and it was one of the newer lines. Um, was it Marvel Knights? But I don't. Either I missed the connection or I did not get the connection because I later, you know, I was, okay, who's she? Because I don't know who the hell that is. And she's Night Nurse, which apparently is a character that I, it was not in the run I read. So She is actually two characters. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so Night Nurse was actually Linda Carter. Uh-huh. That was her name. Um, Claire Temple, uh, who is who's the, the character that Rosario Dawson uh, portrays, Claire Temple was actually a character that met Luke Cage. Um, in almost the exact same way that she met Daredevil, uh, he was he was beaten up and and I don't know if he was in a dumpster, but he was same same scenario. She ran across him and and, and nursed him back to health, that kind of a thing. So the fact that she's Claire Temple, um, but with the Linda Carter connection to Daredevil, I, I kind of I like that. The MCU's been really really good about if they don't stick with with the six one six origin, they they're being very true to other universes that they've done um and trying to incorporate as many of those as they can without getting too overzealous about it i think yeah they've done that uh i like the way that they've done that in most of the cases like they've clipped some characters out or some characters are a little bit different like this one you know kind of incorporate two personalities which is fine because to me i don't think they've done that with anybody that like for example i i read the books and i did did not know who she was so either i haven't gone back far enough or she's just not that big of a character she was 1970s yeah so there you go but i like how they sort of tie that in like they tie in the old stuff as well but sort of update it so that it makes sense for today without getting too ridiculous about it because especially when you're talking about a line that's got 
50 years of history or something like that. The cast of characters get so long you can't keep track of them. Right. But they've done that before, and I, I thought that was just fine. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that are going to complain like we lost so much from the Lord of the Rings movies without having Tom Bombadil, but it was fine. didn't bother me. I, I, I think, if anything, Tom Bombadil probably would have made Fellowship an hour longer than it needed to be. Not that it already probably. wasn't kind of an hour that, longer, but... Yeah, and it's not like... They didn't want to go, like, the Hobbit route with it, I guess. Right. What's that 90-page book turned into three three-hour movies? Yeah. Cash grab. That was, that yeah. was definitely a... Uh... Oh, we gotta talk about Lord of the Rings at some point, because have you, have you seen any of the new Hobbit movies? Um... So here's the thing, I've had the first two of them play in the background, never been able to really sit down and focus on. The first time I, I tried to watch uh, An Unexpected Journey, I actually focused on the first half of the movie, but I was watching it with my kids mm-hmm. and, and the wife in 3D and everybody fell asleep. Yeah. And I kind of think that speaks a little to the movie. I don't know. I, well, it was late. I, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll confess to it being late when we started, but the, but the fact of the matter is, is that's one of those movies where if you watch half of it, you can't just wake up the next day and watch the second half of it, yeah. or maybe you don't have time the next day. But by the time you get to it, you're going to want to watch the whole thing over again, but you've already watched it, so it's hard to focus. Yeah. And because of that, I haven't been able to focus on the... Ne- or, well, I haven't even started the third one, but the, the second one, um, which the parts that I have paid attention to have been entertaining, yeah. but it's just not something that I... They're not bad movies. I was just kind of disappointed because Lord of the Rings is uh, the the original series. Well, I, when I say original, the early two thousand series was one of my favorite set of movies and was ridiculously well done. And they did so much as far as like having quality, realistic effects and stuff like that. And then I thought, compared to the Hobbit, I mean, there were there were parts of the Hobbit which was kind of flooring to me. But there were parts of the Hobbit movies where I was like, I cannot believe how bad the CG is. Like, I cannot believe. Use a lot of CGI and yeah. and a lot of of dumbed down like kid type yeah. plot points. You know what I mean? And, and obviously, The Hobbit that book wasn't as deep as as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so I kind of expected it to be a little bit lighter, but not. Oh yeah, no, as as, as deep as it got. I thought the subject matter the subject matter I think needed to be lighter, and it would have been kind of ridiculous if they tried to make it too much like the Lord of the Rings. But I was just kind of surprised at how crappy some of the effects were, like. The effects in parts of it are, are like laughably bad, like um, especially for how gigantic of a franchise that is. Yeah, in fact, I think if I remember right, when I was still married to my ex-wife, I think me and her and you and Ash went and saw the two towers. I think the four of yeah. us went together to yeah, see that, yeah, yeah. and I remember the feeling being completely different. Like there was no way that I was missing that movie. Oh yeah, no, I that was a. You have to watch it start to finish, and my eyes were like stuck open the entire time. But I mean, I, I, on subsequent rewatches, I get more and more impressed by uh, some of the effects and things that they did uh, really well, especially with, with the big, big set pieces and big bits of CGI in there. Or, but more especially, like how practically the CG is used. Like, there's, I mean, the best CGI is the CGI you don't ever see. Right, um, and it's usually the CGI you don't ever see is kind of the stuff that fills in backgrounds and stuff like that. And they did such a great job with that type of thing that I was kind of surprised to see how crappy The Hobbit was in certain aspects there. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that they they went from from the the practical effects that made Star Wars really really good movies before the the special editions came out. Lucas all over it to the CGI squirrel in Indiana Jones and the crystal skull oh god yeah and 
or the monkeys. I don't, I don't have to go any further than that. Everybody, yeah. anybody that some somebody just somebody yeah. like see. I, th- I somebody said that that's the Lucas theory of like money. You know, like at some point you get too much power and he gets lets too many bad ideas shine through. Like he needed to be a little guy when he made those movies, or they would have been terrible too because nobody would have stopped and said, "Yeah, that's not how people talk." Like people yeah. people don't say that. He's like, He's actually on the these front. people that aren't twelve. He's on the cover art of of the um, the film's greatest directors uh, documentary that uh, Netflix has. Yeah, and the only film that I remember thinking that was great that he directed was A New Hope, and that was only because he had zero money and very little investor confidence, so he had to work with what he had. A New Hope was good, um, and there was a lot of things I thought that they did particularly well, and especially for the time, it was pretty great, but. Um, Empire, hands down. I mean, like Empire, well, hands down is the, of course. And of Lucas had the. I think first off, when I say the least involvement, it's not like he was like eating donuts in a chair or something like. Well, everybody else made decisions, but that was clearly, I think, the one that uh, he had more control or less control uh, or more reined in control over the whole process. That was that was um, Ivan Ivan Kirshner. He's the one that directed. Yeah. Kirshner did it, and I can't remember. Um, writers, but the the Lucas had a lot less influence of the writing, which is pretty awesome. And then there, you know, we got the best ad lib of all time with with I know, you know, so. right, right, one of the most iconic but, uh, scenes in movie history, and it was completely and totally nobody's idea except for Harrison Ford's. Yeah, so. I uh, I don't know. I don't want to beat up on Lucas too bad because he's not like an idiot. Like, have you ever seen THX? Yeah, yeah, THX. I thought was actually pretty cool. Um, especially graffiti. Yeah. I mean, but it's just a matter of, of, I I hear a lot of people downplay, um, his directorial skills when it comes to a new hope, but a lot of them fail to, to remember that without a new hope, if it had tanked, we didn't have empire. Oh yeah. So definitely, um, he, he got the job done and I think that's probably what I appreciate it more about it more than anything is that he did something that got to a point where we have these tremendous sequels to it. And then this giant blown up universe that it's, that has come to be. Um, I think a big part of that too was a big part of the original trilogy was the whole hero's journey. I think Google that if you don't know what it is, the hero's journey thing um, is just a nice sort of trope to set up a frame for a story. And then he did a great job of filling in the different elements of that frame story. And I don't think that was quite as present in, in the, the new trilogy. Um, which may have been, I mean, that's not its fault. I mean, there are plenty of faults in there, but I don't think it was really telling a cohesive story and then, you know, add to that all the ridiculously overly done CGI and, and uh, just, I could, I could, even in the theater, I remember thinking, who wrote this? Like, who honestly sat down and wrote this? We paid, people got paid to write that line. It's the sand, the sand line is the one that keeps, I keep remembering. And pretty much any scene where Padme and Anakin talk to each other. <laughs> any scene where those two have any sort of dialogue whatsoever is just oh my god you you got an 11 year old girl to write this didn't you and and, and her Hayden boyfriend said especially in episode yeah. two was so terrible oh yeah i mean i mean just see that's another funny like not a bad actor like by all accounts hayden first of all, i don't really like hayden the only other thing i've really seen him in is uh um jumper in in both jumper and uh, um, the Star Wars trilogy, 
he could easily be replaced by a cardboard cutout with like holding up the little paddle signs that say, I'm sad, you know? Right. Right. No, I, I didn't think he was that bad. in in uh, in episode three. Oh yeah. Uh, because, because his role, I mean his, well, number one, his dialogue was a little bit, uh, episode three was almost enough to save the trip, almost enough to make it worth it to sit through the without, first two. Without the Frankenstein moment at the end. Yeah. But not quite. So anyway, Daredevil, Daredevil. Daredevil. Um, okay, so so some of the key points that I took out of it, um, and I don't know if this is what you were hoping I would pick up on or, or not, um, or if we even covered that, but I remember specifically you telling me that you were hoping that I had the same takeaways. Um, yep. The father-son dynamic I thought was really interesting. Nailed it. That, okay, that was exactly one of the things I wanted to talk about, because f- first off, I had a hard time um, wondering how they were going to fit that story sort of in a modern-day... Uh, um, in a modern day setting, I didn't know how they were going to fit Battle and Jack into it at all. And it turns out they just did it. I mean, they just did it almost exactly like they would tell it in the comic book story 50 years ago. Uh, or, I don't know, Daredevil's probably 70s or something like that for his heyday, but 40 years ago. But Volume volume 2, I think, uh, started in 70, 70 or 71, so Volume 1 was... It, it, I mean, he's 60s. I mean, he's not that... But ba- Battle and Jack was uh, one of my favorite parts so far of the show. Um, and I, I don't know, I should say was, because I'm sure we'll see more of them as I get through the rest of the season. But Battle and Jack, I thought, was done really uh, just brilliantly. And I thought they did a really, really good job, especially with the limited screen time they had or they used for that story to show uh, Matt's relationship to Jack um, and sort of how they fit together and why that's a big part of who shaped or how Matt gets shaped and, and becomes Daredevil. So yeah, I'm glad you said that because that was definitely one of the things that I was hoping to see what you'd think about. Yeah, um, specifically the envelope full of money, um, and I, and I think that's that's when Matt realized that there was a little something more than what his dad was telling him. Yeah, um, and then obviously after the accident when he was he was overhearing the uh, the thugs, you know, tell him to take a dive. Yep, and and I don't I don't know that Jack necessarily knew that that Matt had picked up on it or whatever, but um, see, I don't think he did. And I think that's one of the greatest parts of that story arc is that I don't think it was uh, uh, like, a, I got to redeem myself in the eyes of my boy. I think that was purely like Jack, Jack being the, realizing on his own that he needed to do the right yeah, thing. J- Jack saying, I, 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 I'm pretty sure. And I thought they made pretty clear, clear in the show that he did not expect to walk away alive from that at all. Right. And yeah. I, I thought that was just kind of brilliant the way they did that. Even though we, the viewer, knows that Matt saw it, I don't think Jack knew it. Um, so th- it, to me, was a big development for his character that j- to just have him go that route without actually being pushed towards it ex- uh, extraneously. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's, it's, uh, it's always better to have the, the hero be the hero because it's the right thing to do and not because it's something he thinks he has to do. So... Oh yeah, um, definitely. That was that That's was almost... critical, and obviously Jack's not the hero, but I, I think as we go on, I think we're going to find that that's probably something that inspired Matt, definitely to to be the guy that to, that stood up for the little guy and and stood up to the bad guys. So, and I wouldn't be surprised, but I think we got to get a scene at some point where Matt figures out exactly what his dad did, like uh, especially with the money aspect and how he knows like. His dad went down specifically so he could have that better life. So right, um, the flashbacks in episode two. There was a lot more of them than in, in yeah. episode one. Um, 
and I don't think that was a bad thing. I think they were they were actually completely relevant to the story at hand and to to kind of set the tone for future episodes. So Definitely. I wasn't uh, I wasn't pissed off about it. I do I do hope they ease up on them as the story progresses through the next uh, what is it eleven more episodes that they have. Um, specifically because I don't want it to end up being too much like uh, what we already have on TV with Arrow. Oh yeah, I I don't think we can tell or I don't think they will tell the story the same way I mean the flashbacks are a huge driver or a huge vehicle for Arrow and I, I think they probably realize that too and don't want, don't want to go that far that said I know that we've still got some more coming because if you watch any of the trailers you know that there's a part where little boy Matt starts getting trained by other blind ninja guy who's yet to be revealed so sure and, and I think we probably we probably know that kind of thing is coming I just, I my hope is that those flashbacks will tell a story, but not be half of the the episode. Yeah, um, Arrow's almost a fifty fifty split or sixty forty something like that. Yeah. sometimes. So, um, and then there was a there was a shit ton more fighting, dude. Okay, so that this is <laughs> fucking great because those are those are definitely like two of my biggest things that I loved about the show was how they handled Jack and 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 Matt's interactions, and then the fighting. Holy shit, the fighting! Like the fighting to um. Somebody asked me the other day, I was telling them, have you seen the show yet? Or, and, I, and they said, is it as good as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Like, did they get the act? Did they get the fights as good as they did with some of May's fights and stuff like that? And I was like, no, they, they completely just absolutely dominated. They, they make Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. look like kids playing in their backyard. Like, the, the fighting was on parallel with most, I would say, well-done movies. Like, when I was watching the fight scenes, I was thinking of uh, one of my most recent favorite fights done in a movie which also is another marvel movie which is cap 2 so sure. cap 2 the the fights in cap 2 were just badass and really like for especially for a lot of people who were like i don't get what's so special about captain america like that was one big part of it is like he's a kick-ass fighter but daredevils was so well done uh, um the the fight choreography was insane like the length of the fight choreography and i doubt they did this in a single shot although it's really made to look like it but the hallway scene the hallway scene in episode two that that was just uh, beautiful choreography, beautiful cinematography. Um, even if they didn't do it in a single take, which, like I said, I suspect they probably didn't, although that would have been super brilliant. Um, the way that it's shot so it looks like it is um, just added so much awesome to that episode. What I what I appreciated about the hallway fight scene was when the door came out. Oh, yeah. And was laying across the hallway. Um, they really focused on that piece of it, but without focusing on it if you, oh, yeah. if you if you know what i mean because they the fight scene went on and of course the, the the action was was the focal point of the shot but when it shows him walking back past the door with yeah. the kid at the end if you look you could definitely see on the wall where the door hit yeah. and then the paint scraped down until it rested yeah and i don't normally pick up on details like that but i i thought that was Oh, pretty well done. So I, I I loved everything about that scene. Like that that scene is probably gonna go down as one of my favorites. Like uh, the have you ever seen Old Boy? I have not. Okay, watch the Korean version. The American version of Old Boy is not terrible, but it's also not very good either. Um, but the Korean version of Old Boy, uh, hopefully it's Korean or everybody's gonna think I'm racist. But uh, love the producer check that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the Korean version of Old Boy has a very similar scene. Not similar because, especially with the way that they rotated the camera in and out of the action, but they have a scene in Old Boy, that, which is a very long single take hallway fight. 
um, which also just has a ridiculously uh, high amount of good choreography in it. Um, but this, it's a very long scene. And uh, one of the things that's hard to forget while you're watching it is that they're doing all this shit in a single take. So um, it's brilliantly done, but that's what kind of, it reminded me of in Daredevil, um, even though, like I said, probably not a single take, it, it just evoked that same sort of feeling of like, wow, we are getting a really ridiculously well done fight scene in what is supposed to just be a TV show. I, I, I think there's definite advantages to the way that they produce this TV show. Um, having it be a Netflix original series, I think was probably one of the best moves they could have made. Because oh, definitely. This, this kind of show... This would have had to have been done on, um, you know, FX or AMC or something like that if it was going to be a cable show, for one. Um, and I think Beans is a Netflix show. They have a little bit more leeway, actually, without having to worry about any of it. I'm um, really curious to see what the uh, budgets look like compared to, uh, like, the cable networks. I suspect that this is, like, um, more on par with... Uh, HBO show budgets, especially some of their bigger properties, um, because I think probably Netflix realized they kind of had to hit it out of the park with this one. You know, I hope so. I, I hope they realize that. And and honestly, I think they did good by casting a a, a lesser known actor, yeah, as as Matt Murdock. And I think they did really well though on the flip side of that coin by landing Rosario Dawson, um, because she's really good. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't think I've seen her, I don't really recall anything particular with Rosar. I mean, she's obviously not like a nobody or anything like that. She's well known, but there's nothing really in particular I can think of that I really know her for. So I was kind of going in that with like a, I don't know, maybe she'll be good, maybe she won't. We'll see. Clerks too. obviously, she's, she was a big oh, part yeah, of that, yeah. um, which is a different role for her. She, I don't want to say she wasn't funny before, but I mean, that obviously she went from doing what she was doing before into, a, a very very much dick and fart joke movie yeah and she did any interview that i've ever heard kevin smith talk about it um she took to it like a fish to water um like from staying in a shitty hotel next to the restaurant that they filmed at and and just jumping jumping in head first to it so um and then she was also uh, my my kids are big Percy Jackson fans, and she was she played uh, Persephone and oh yeah, actually that was the Lightning a Thief family movie night like three weeks ago. We watched Percy Jackson, shitty movie. Uh, yeah, so I really liked the movie the first time I saw it, but that's because I hadn't read any of the books yet. And then I read all the books, and those movies are a fucking disaster compared to the the books. Um, They're... but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> she. Yeah. She was good in it, though. That's I'll, I'll say that I'll say that she she another one of those where it wasn't her fault that it was such a shitty script. Yeah. So, um, gosh, the the fights in it were amazing. Choreography was amazing. Uh, another thing I liked that they did is they just sort of like I, I thought that they were gonna sort of power down Daredevil, and it, again, depending on who writes any superhero, they go from like. Um, pretty cool, pretty awesome. Oh, okay, definitely better than you know your your you know human regular real life counterparts could ever do. To oh my god, they're practically godlike. Like uh, I was reading Marvel Marvel's bio on Daredevil today, and some of the things that he can actually do border on ridiculousness. Um, at least in again, depending on which incarnation. But I really like that they didn't go uh, uh, too far down the level of 
uh, power for in what his abilities actually are. Um, and they also didn't really spend a lot of time on it. He just does stuff. And I thought I thought that I thought the way that they um, handled the effect was pretty cool with that too. So or the effects with a lot of the, like the listening things and the heartbeats. And the listening things, the heartbeats, but the the very very few visual effects that go along with it. I think that's probably oh, yeah. one of the places where the movie went terribly wrong is is all the the sonar looking crap that they threw in and right and not that that's not relevant because they do have a little bit of that in the comic book and stuff but i I don't think it translated as well onto film as they as they were hoping um i think just his body language and and the very little subtle effects that they throw in probably yep are are the direction that they should be going um i i wouldn't mind if he himself elaborated a little bit more on how he does things because right now he and and i it, claire kind of alluded to this in, in the second episode it's just kind of creepy yeah you know that he that he knows all this kind of yeah so far i i think we'll get to that eventually and i straw i mean i i don't see how this won't be renewed for at least another season or two like so I, i'm sure that's a path we'll go down a he's, little bit he's more. already credited um as matt murdoch in a in a tv series called the defenders um, so I don't know if they're going to do the Defenders in place of Daredevil Season 2 or if they'll do both. I, I have no idea yet. God, that'd be cool. Um, and I don't know that it's officially credited, but I know that IMDb has a page up and it's, you know, IMDb stuff. At least possibly in the future right. somewhere. Somebody has somebody important has breathed the word of it, even if it's only so. Maybe someday we'll do that. All right. So did you read the, the Nerdist uh Facebook post today about Spider-Man? No. So, uh, Phage has uh, come out and, and confirmed that we are going to have a high school-aged, teenage Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man. It is not Ultimate Spider-Man. It is going to be really? Peter Parker. Okay. Um, they are, well, however... No, no, I'm not saying uh, Ultimate Miles Morales. I'm talking, like, the Ultimate storyline. I think started around 2001. I wouldn't miss, it would... Yeah, it may be a little closer to that. Um, because he's going to be about... They said he's going to be about 16 or so, 15 or 16, but he will have been Spider-Man for a few years by this point. Really? Yeah, so he got... He, this character will have been, been bitten around the age of 12 or 13. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to get a Spider-Man that's kind of been there and done that already a couple of times. So do you think that they're going to finally figure out, like, we don't need a 20-minute origin story at the beginning of the movie? They're, they're not doing an origin. Because he, his first appearance... Well, that would be brilliant. They should just jump right in, skip all that shit, and maybe he gets two lines that says, oh yeah, once I got bitten by a spider. Yeah, to my to my knowledge, they've they've decided because his first appearance is going to be an MCU and not a not a Spider Man reboot. Oh yeah, so um, they're they're going to be doing a, a, a MCU movie and he's just going to be there. So See, that was my that was my favorite part of the announcement with Spider Man. At first, I was like, oh my god, they're doing another reboot, and then I was like, except for Marvel's in this one, like Marvel's helping do the reboot. Okay, I'm on board. Especially if it means we at any point get to see Spider-Man uh, in the Avengers, because I just can't wait for the banter that's going to occur because of that. So the the hubbub, if you can believe the hubbub, that I've heard is that uh, Infinity War Part 1 is going to be almost an entirely new cast, including Spider-Man. Really? Um, and that the original Avengers will all be off-planet or indisposed for reasons that will be explained in the coming phase. And that we will see most of them come back into the picture for Infinity War Part 2. That actually could be a really interesting direction because, I mean, it's not like Marvel's shy on pro- like short on properties. They've, they've got plenty of 
things they can still tap. You know, I I think they've got Punisher back too. So I'm 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 hoping. Um, Ooh, that would be fun. Yeah, I, I I would really really like to see them actually do a TV series, a Punisher TV series, similar see, to what they're doing with Daredevil. That's how. Oh. It almost drives me crazy, you know, especially seeing some well-done TV series with these big characters in them, like The Flash. The Flash right now is probably still my favorite, uh, it's hard to say with Daredevil now, but The Flash is probably one of my favorite, um, forget about uh, uh, TV shows, just one of my favorite ways to see a big character like that portrayed. So I'm almost kind of disappointed when, you know, like Aquaman's going to go to to a big movie um, instead of getting some of the TV aspects of it because to me especially with the serialized nature of comics the the um tv just seems to fit better so i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out there um i'm excited to see ben affleck as batman i'm probably in was, the in the lower percentile on that i was not at first but i warmed pretty quickly to i think when i saw him in the bat suit like the first time i saw him in the bat suit and first off love the dark knight returns inspired you know, elements they're taking clearly from that, that suit. But, um, that was sort of like where I bought it, especially the fact that he's just fucking jacked in that pick. Like, yeah, uh, he's a very, I mean, you can buy, I could buy Christian Bale as Batman. Um, but to me, there's a little bit more realistic, realistic, at least in the look. And, And Ben Affleck is fucking Bruce Wayne. He looks exactly like I would picture Bruce Wayne looking like, uh, uh, both really pretty much all of the Batmans that have played so far, um, with the exception of maybe Clooney, it wouldn't have been my first sort of casting choice from pure aesthetic. But uh, I, I thought Val like, Kilmer acted Bruce Wayne probably oh, yeah. a lot better than than anybody in that particular franchise did. My here's here's my my concern is I'm happy to see Affleck as Batman. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he did a stand up job in Man of Steel. Although I, I that movie, it's a weak movie. Kind of. I mean, it's not it's it, not a bad movie, but it's not a knock it out of the park movie either. I mean, I, I quite honestly, my Superman nerd boner probably is why I I think so highly of that movie anyway. Well, I I, I think that movie should have been brighter. I think where Zack Snyder went wrong was was the drabness of that movie because. You can have dark and drab when you're talking Batman or almost any other superhero that you want to, but Superman has to be the bright, shining beacon of, See, I of hope, the DC universe. I kind of hope that anybody important at DC is watching the Flash TV show because they do that show just right for the character, I think, in terms of tone and things like that. And I was a little afraid watching Arrow um, that they were going to go that I mean, they've got a successful show with Arrow and... Previously, the biggest successful DC property prior to that was uh, the the whole Dark Knight trilogy, which was you know super dark and gritty and realistic and blah blah blah. So I was I um, thought they might try to go that direction with the Flash too, um, but they didn't at all, and they they're totally nailing that uh, um, with the Flash. So I would have liked to see, and hopefully we see some of this with the sort of um, dichotomy between Batman and Superman in the next movie. We see some of that lighten up and really see, start to see the differences because. Henry Cavill's Superman slash Clark Kent is not really, I think, quite there. Like, it's not quite what the character is. I think he's got Superman down cold. Oh, I mean, as far from an acting standpoint, definitely. Like, when he, uh, in the scene where they first find the, the uh, scout ship, like in Antarctica or whatever, wherever they were at, and Lois gets hurt, 
and she's freaking out when he's about to laser her stomach shut or whatever. And this the look he gives her, that I think was the part where I was like, oh, no, that's it. There's Superman. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the Clark Kent part um, is concerned, I don't know that you will get a Clark Kent that's that's the same as any of the Clark Kents we've gotten before. Because if you remember, he he did not have the same Pa Kent the always do the right thing no matter what Pa Kent. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, the Costner Pa Kent was totally fine with him letting a busload of kids die as long as it meant that nobody knew what yeah. he could do so they didn't come after him. And and I don't know that that's necessarily the direction he was trying to push him toward. It was just a very... Um, it almost... Protect yourself because people will come for you if they know. And it almost feels like uh, he's sort of going a little bit against the... T- you, know, you know, like... I don't know. There's sort of that background story where he's saying like someday you'll be ready, but that I don't think is, you know, you make a very good point. Cause that's not really when I think of Superman, that's not really it at all. Like it, it would have been, you know, you got to protect yourself and they, he figures out the super, the, the secret identity part pretty early on, but I don't think any previous inclination of, uh, um, incarnation of, uh, Pa Kent probably would have said, you know, you shouldn't have saved a bus full of kids or do you think that was a great, idea? like he got scolded for saving a bus full of kids. Like, yeah. 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 So, and, and honestly, I think that was, that was one of the more interesting things that I think happened in that movie. And I, I, I did admire Costner's uh, role in it. I, I was concerned oh. before when I saw, you know, all the casting choices and stuff like that. I'm like, really Costner? I mean, but... there, that was another, yeah. When I first started, so this is the other thing, like when I see some of the other casting choices they've made um, with the upcoming movies that I, I'm not really sure about, I'm sort of letting some of those things redeem it. Cause that's one thing I thought that movie did really well. Uh, um, and same sort of thing. I wasn't really sure about Kevin Costner uh, being Pa Kent. I wasn't really sure about Russell Crowe being uh, Jor-El. I was, you know, thinking kind of they're going to hog too much of the movie, basically. But I really thought they both played their roles quite well. Like, I, I both... That, Russell Crowe knocked out of the fucking park. Oh, yeah. But, I, I mean, for everything that Jor-El is, or we thought he was, he took it and did something with it that was different, but at the same time stayed true enough to the the origins and things like that. And one thing that I really, really liked about Man of Steel, while we're on the origin subject, is we got to see Krypton. I mean, I mean, full on see Krypton, and that's not something oh, that we'd ever seen before. Some people had like took that as a dig. Some people, I, um, I, I read a lot of criticism of how much time they spent on Krypton, and the whole time they were on Krypton, I was like, fucking awesome, like. We, uh, I've been dying to see this shit done in a major way for a long time. Like, so I, I kind of, I have a hard time reading that kind of criticism. And again, I mean, there's, that's probably something to do at least a little bit with pacing and stuff like that. But that, I, I totally love that part. That whole section of the movie I thought was just great. Yeah. And, and whether or not they got Krypton quote unquote right, as far as, you know, some of the, some of the more diehard fans and things like that would have preferred it. Man of Steel was the first movie that actually like was willing to go there. Yeah. Other than showing like weird little crystalline things. And you know, they, uh, that was a big difference. I think in Man of Steel between, uh, uh, prior to any other really incarnation of Superman too, especially big screen, maybe not so much Smallville, but, um, Man of Steel really wanted to go the route that, uh, Clark's an alien. Like we always kind of look at Clark and think of him as like a superhuman, but he's not, he's, he's an alien from full on other fucking galaxy type of not even close. So I liked seeing that element of that 
Um, and I thought they did a good job with that part of the movie. Um, I thought the scene a uh, little heavy handed when they started getting to the um, you are not alone sort of thing. Cause I thought they were, and they even said, I can't remember if it was in the commentary or something I read, but Snyder was really going for the whole, what happens when humanity finds out that they're not, they're not alone. What happens when humanity finds out that we're not the only thing in the, the, the universe or the only sentient life in the universe. And, Especially when you have somebody like Superman being the other form of life that you're aware of, right? Yeah, I I think that's a valid valid outlook on it. My my concern with the with the DC cinematic universe, if I may be bold enough to call it that, I don't know that that's what they're what they're going with. But somewhere a Marvel lawyer is like sharpening his pen nib, like oh you fucker. So I'm I'm. They are Russia racing to put a man on the moon five years after the United States did it. Oh, definitely. Um, they need to stop doing that shit, man. Like, they need to make a good movie because it's a good movie, not not because they're trying to compete with Marvel. Because nobody's going to compete with Marvel. That's my biggest point. fear. Like, as far as what DC's doing with their properties, my biggest fear uh, right now is that they're overloading shit hard like first off i'm I'm, it's very nice to see that they're going to be hitting some of these big major characters and giving them their own movies like aquaman's getting a movie and stuff like that but i'm nervous as shit about them having and presumably introducing batman wonder woman and i think cyborg is making an appearance or there's hints that the flash the flash is going to show up probably I mean, they're literally cramming all that shit. Like, we're just skipping right to the Avengers, where Marvel spent, you know, five years setting it up with multiple movies. Yeah, and I'm I'm really, really not excited about the prospect that their DC isn't uniting their different franchises under under one banner like Marvel's done. Because yeah. e- they've got Agents of Shield. Um, they did the um the the Peggy Carter. Yeah. Agent Carter, which Agent even Carter. ties in really well with the cinematic universe, which is almost unheard of. It's like, it's directly derived from, you know what yeah. I mean. And then they've got Daredevil. I'd even kind of argue, I'd even argue that's when Agents of Shield got good. When um, Cap Two came out, that's when Agents of Shield, to me, started becoming interested in it. Which is the payoff. I mean, I, for the first season of Agents of Shield, I watched most of it simply because at some point it's going to get good, hopefully, and that was when it was yeah really yeah no I, I had a hard time with agents of shield when it first came out because it was kind of monster of the week yeah and i had a hard time paying attention to it um like, well that, that's there were a lot of weak characters none of the acting was particularly good i didn't think any of the um uh characters that they'd introduced were particularly good um and now again you know deathlock i deathlock was pretty cool but i think we're finally starting to see some payoff so that's that's um j august richards i think is his name yeah um, and I actually was really excited when I saw him in it because, and and you'll find this out as you as you dive into the the Buffy verses as we yeah. texted about earlier. Um, he actually shows up toward the end of season one of Angel, and really? he's a he's a, a permanent cast member starting season two onward. Yeah. Um, not that that show ran for more than five years, but yeah, he was he was there for four of those five years, and so I was I was I was excited to see him. I almost when I first saw him thought maybe they were going the Luke Cage direction with him. That was the hint, like, uh, when, I, when uh, Agents was first coming out, I remember that being all the speculation, because there was a trailer with Deathlock, I think he jumped off the side of a building or something like that, and everybody's like, whoa, holy shit, Luke Cage, Luke Cage. Well, his, yeah, his powers were 
very similar to Luke yeah. Cage's. So that 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 was where I kind of thought they were going with that, but it, it didn't pan out. And as honestly, I was fine with them being Deathlock too. But um, I, I think you're right. I didn't I didn't really really get into it until close to the end of season one, and that was when they did the the Winter Soldier tie-in. Yeah, uh, the tie-in with Winter Soldier was great, and then the twist at the end with Ward, which surprisingly. Uh, they have not done hardly anything with this season. Like he's shown up a couple of times, but he's been a very minor character. And maybe that's because they're letting the whole inhuman storyline take over for a while. But I'll confess, I, I have not watched more than the first two episodes from this current season. Um, well, I'll hit it when it comes on Netflix, and I'll I'll burn through the whole thing. Casey's not into it, so uh, well, hopefully no spoilers. But it it's not been a real big deal this season, which was kind of surprising to me because he was a big part of the first season. And again, that's when his character got interesting. Was at the end of the first season when that happened. Well, we're we're coming up we're coming up toward the end of the actual TV season, and we've got Age of Ultron coming out. Yeah, right about the same time. So I'm I'm thinking there should be a, a cliffhanger tie-in thing, decent tie-in right around that time. So I'm hoping. I got to be honest too. I'm going to be a little pissed if Coulson doesn't make an appearance in. Uh, and it's got to be funny too because like, aren't you supposed to be dead? Like. If Captain's not like, what the fuck, Fury, like, then I, I would be very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, man, I'm, I'm really digging what they're doing. Um, back, back to the DC thing, though. That, that's my biggest fear is that they're going to they're gonna burn themselves out trying to oh, do yeah, something that they, that they, that's been done already. Then we got to wait for reboot um, the goddamn universe again and sit for five years while they come up with a decent way to do the properties, but... I'm, I'm probably not going to see Suicide Squad, at least not in the theaters. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm waiting. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Suicide Squad, but I'm a little nervous too because it seems like they're cramming a lot in that movie. I I think I think they're I think they're using it as a vehicle to show people the Joker when the Joker isn't an active part of any other franchise right now. And, I kind of think so too. And that's because the Joker. He's almost he's, as big. He doesn't as... have to be relevant to the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad is is the Suicide Squad. I thought was almost a property to show some B listers uh, some love. Like Arrow, in particular, makes a pretty good example of this. I mean, they're mostly sort of secondary, tertiary characters. Green Arrow was a poor man's Batman. Yeah, he is actually. I mean, not not. The character of Green Arrow has been around for a long, long time, but Smallville, when they brought in Justin Hartley as, as Green Arrow, it was because... They couldn't get Batman. They did not have the rights to to have Batman on TV. The CW didn't, anyway. Um, yeah. So they, they used Green Arrow instead, and that's why they're so analogous Similar, there. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm... I'm... That's, a, that's another thing that I almost... I'm hoping it changes as the show goes on, but they, they are a little bit too... Hugging the Batman storyline with the um, Arrow universe, not directly, but there's a lot of, especially in tone. The tone is much more similar, especially when you think of Green Arrow, the character. Casey can't get into it because he's so broody all the time. Yeah, see that that to me is not Green Green Arrow is not a broody character. And I, granted, you can go to the um, what's the storyline, the Longbow Hunters or something like that. Right. Yeah, the Longbow Hunters storyline is. Probably closest to the Arrowverse that we know now, but everything else Green Arrow wise, and I think that was published. I mean, it was DC that published it, but I think it was published under their um, their adult. Yeah, it was not. It was sort of an offshoot. Yeah, um, it was almost almost a different a different brand, but but 
Yeah. I mean, technically still part of the, the DCU, but... But well, like, uh, similar to Marvel when they did the Marvel Knights, where Daredevil was a part like, of for a while. Can't they just get Ollie to crack some fucking jokes? Yeah, and I think I think that's probably why we have Felicity, and she's really good at that. Yeah, and Ray Palmer to an extent. See, Palmer actually. Here's another sort of you know sad tragedy of DC fucking up their properties. Brandon Ruth was a brilliant Superman. I mean, I'm glad to see him on Arrow now because I, I he's clearly grown quite a bit as an actor, and I actually really like him as Ray Palmer on on Arrow. But uh, maybe it's just uh, nostalgia and how friggin' similar his uh, looks and mannerisms could be to um, Christopher Reeve. But I thought Brandon Ruth was probably the best part of Superman Returns. In fact, that's pretty easy. Brandon Ruth <laughs> was the best part of Superman Returns. It had to be because it wasn't that hour in the middle. Yeah, no. <laughs> or no, no, I'm sorry. The hour at the beginning and the hour at the end. The hour in the middle was the good part. Yeah. But, uh, and, and through no fault of his, but that's honestly... Superman Returns shouldn't have been Superman Returns. Superman Returns should have been where the reboot happened, but I'm glad it didn't because I'm I'm happy with the product that we got that was Man of Steel. So yeah, but uh, yeah, they they really kind of screwed the pooch because that would have been prime. Like if they were really going to be right on top and and be right next to Marvel, that would have been the time to do it. So my biggest biggest fear is that they're going to fuck up Green Lantern again. Oh uh, God. Green do we Lantern, have a Green, Green Lantern? No, we do have a Green Lantern because isn't Tyrese the rumor right now? That's the rumor, but it's not. It's that film isn't isn't scheduled to release until twenty twenty. Yeah, so uh, it Th- could be a lot of things. I mean, they won't even start shooting. For there's three Chris Pine's name has been thrown around too as, in terms as of, of Hal Jordan. Yeah, see, I could buy uh, Hal Jordan. I, what I'm curious, or I could buy Chris Pine as as Hal Jordan, but I'm curious if they want to go. I mean, Hal Jordan's probably the best known Green Lantern. But I'm curious if they want to go that route, or if they just want to stay as far away from the the last movie as they can. Here's my biggest fear when it comes to to, to Green Lantern, and I use that phrase a lot, and we'll have to cut some of those out. But yeah. <laughs> um, to do to do a Green Lantern that isn't Hal Jordan, they needed a better Hal Jordan movie first, because Hal Jordan is Earth Green Lantern, the launching point, and yeah. you you can't have John Stewart, or you can have John Stewart, and and but you can't expect it to be successful without any relevancy to why John Stewart is there, and and for that matter, Guy Gardner should probably be introduced first because Guy Gardner is the second Green Lantern. John Stewart was the third stringer, which is why he always had a chip on his shoulder, and that's part of who his character was. See, I'm, I'm interested to see what the I don't know. See, because some of that I, th- I think they can get away with because again, that's comic book nerdery, which quite a lot of the people i in fact i would i would hazard a guess that the vast majority will have no idea like that that's even a thing so i think they may be confused maybe confused by the switch because the only exposure a lot of people will have had to a green lantern at this point is hal jordan as played by ryan reynolds and then they'll be all where did hal jordan go but i think they'll get over that pretty quick if they make a decent movie out of it well and and what when did when did the first one release like was it 2007? No, no, it was it was later than that. Yeah, I want to say 2010, 2011-ish. Yeah. So by the time 2020 rolls around, you're going to have 9, 10 years. Yeah, in between, which is a fucking lifetime considering how many Spider-Man reboots there've been in that amount of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> they should Maybe that that'll be the new measuring stick. Well, we can't reboot as many times as they've done Spider-Man, so just stay one year behind that and we're good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, what what do you think of the rumors about uh, Marvel killing some of their their bigger franchises specifically to spoil the, the movies not owned by them? Um, Fantastic Four case in point is set to be canceled uh, the summer before Fantastic Four releases. You mean the book? They're, yeah, they're canceling the books. Yeah, that's that's the rumor. I don't. I obviously this is not substantiated, but this is just what I've. I don't know. If that's the right move because with Spider Man in particular, like Spider Man's probably one of the most titular or the most well recognized comic uh, book character from the Marvel universe, and. and as as much as it was a good thing for them them to sell the rights so they could actually get in and make the movies that they've made, I'm sure it's a thing that they, they I mean they would jump at it in a heartbeat to buy that that back um, oh, easily, which is why they worked so hard to make that deal with Sony in the first place. Let's just say they went the same route. Let's just say, well, we fucked up and now we can't make Spider-Man movies. We're gonna kill the book. Okay, well, well now we're ten years down the road and now they've got involvement with Spider-Man in the MCU proper. And I think that's going to be a big boon for them. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to see Spider-Man as uh, um, a Marvel property in, in Marvel movies. Well, they, they did kill the book for a while. Um, Spider-Man, just to, to clarify, there's, there was a year yeah. plus where there wasn't an Amazing Spider-Man title. But um, there were, that, was, that was a storyline decision, not a, not see, a, a corporate. That's the other thing I, I think about rumors like that, especially when you have a pretty big property like Fantastic Four. Like, I think they... It, they they die comic book comic book deaths as in it's dead, which really translates to we'll see you in six months to two years or something like that when we reboot hard and you'll come back drooling for more. Well, yeah, and it's it's kind of one of those things. Fantastic Four has been a book that's never been their biggest seller for no. one. Um, so if the book's getting canceled, I I would I would probably attribute it to that more than more than anything. I probably would wait until after the film drops because I think you can sell more comic books. Right. Um. At that point. But also, it, it could be one of those things where they don't want to make the decision based on numbers that are padded because of the, the movie, too. So, um, the, other, the other one that I heard was that they're not introducing new mutants um, in the X-Men titles, specifically because they don't want to give uh, Fox more fodder for their franchise. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, I can't say I blame them, but... Wolverine's I... dead in the comics, like... He's legitimately dead at this point for, I mean, I'm pretty current up to the most recent month. And um, there is a Wolverines book that's published weekly that I haven't read more than the first few issues of because I, I don't have time. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm really kind of hoping that when they do bring it back, because they will bring it back. I mean, that's that. Well, they, again, just too popular a character. There's no way he stays dead. But uh, I, I kind of wonder sometimes if, if some of those decisions really are legitimately happening and, Obviously, I know what the motivation is, but I don't. Know, I guess I don't get the point because Fox is still going to have the cinematic rights, and they're still going to do what they're going to do. Um, sort of seems like shooting themselves in the foot because, yeah, you can't really un, uh, you, you can't really put the genie back in the bottle on that one. So all you're doing is sort of depriving yourself of the property as right. well in the space that you can still use them in. So right, I, I actually like a lot of the X Men books. In fact, I read most of the X Men titles still yeah. monthly, and I mean. They're good, so... Um, I don't think I've read any of the X-Men books in quite a while. I probably should rectify that at some point. I've read every issue of Uncanny X-Men since the mid-90s. Yeah. And some even... I, I mean, I started reading from the Wayback, too, um, through Marvel's little Wayback app that yeah. they have and stuff. So it's just one of those, one of those situations where they're good books. 
for yeah. the most part. And I, I don't, I don't see the point of stifling the creativity of your staff to prevent a movie character from getting thrown in there. You know, especially because if they do something really good, and then somehow Fox managed to pick up on that and do something really good with the movies, that's going to sell more comic books too. Like. I'm sure I, I would be very surprised to see that we don't see more comic book sales today than ever before because of the sudden resurgence in popularity of all of these different characters and comic books and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. Adjusted for inflation, I'd really like to see where this where the where the numbers stack up now versus the mid '90s when we were uh, we had the Age of Apocalypse and we had the Death of Superman and, yeah, and that's a good the point. Nightfall series, things like that. Those that age of comics was super relevant because of the fact that those were huge events that happened and they didn't happen all the time oh yeah but after those events happened everything had to be apocalyptic in order for it to sell books and that's that's what killed franchises and i guess people don't don't really get that there's going to be a lull sometimes you know what i mean like you yeah. gotta you, there's got to be a calm before the storm superman can't fight apocalypse every week otherwise it's a little bit boring we right. kind of like the old batman show like Right. Every three weeks, the Joker gets knocked down again. Every three weeks, Penguin gets up. Yeah. It's almost become kind of a, a running gag in the Spider-Man books about security of holding cells. I, I'm surprised uh, we don't see more jokes about Arkham. You know, like, I, I swear they just, they don't even lock the gates anymore. They just, you guys stay put, okay? We can trust you. We know you've been good for, like, at least 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arkham, Arkham must employ, like primarily stormtroopers like it's got to be like that level of you got to have among the Arkham you got to have group. clones yeah in order to keep it staffed because nobody in their right mind will actually apply to work there yeah except for dr harleen quinzel yeah <laughs> that's another one i liked uh do you know harley i did not know this but i think if i'm remembering correctly now harley came from the animated series she did not the other way around um the animated series was kind of i mean it was super influential for a bunch of different reasons um harley quinn was was created specifically for the cartoon show and and is subsequently like one of the most popular characters in oh yeah she's she's a brilliant character mark hamill's joker fucking amazing oh yeah everybody this is another sort of popular misconception everybody kind of thinks that mark hamill disappeared into obscurity but his voice work is amazing like it, it it legitimately like blew my freaking mind to learn that Luke Skywalker was actually Joker. And to me, like if if you want to say like one of the things that you instantly hear when somebody says the Joker is Mark Hamill's laugh, like mm-hmm. and that does not change. Like as great as Heath Ledger is, I hear the I hear Mark Hamill's laugh in my head, not not Ledger's. Yeah, and and from what I understand, um, Batman the Animated Series is one of the few. Um, things uh one of the few shows that they did voiceover work for as a group like they all sat in one room and did it uh, mark hamill was actually the only one that was allowed to stand up during during recording um, <laughs> and it was because he he needed to be able to stand up and move to to get into character and stuff uh are you caught up on the flash have you seen mark hamill as trickster yes okay that that actually if you watch mark hamill as trickster that i totally buy that because he's one of the most emotive characters um that i think we've seen on the flash did, did you watch the 90s flash tv series because he was the trickster in that. I I heard that actually. There's a really great shot picture of uh, I want to say it's uh both flashes as in the '90s Flash, um, which again another brilliant casting decision. Uh, Flash's dad in this series yes. being Flash, 
you know, yeah. 20 yeah. years ago. But John, John Wesley Ship, I think. Yeah, John yeah. Wesley Ship. Uh, just brilliant. But yeah, Mark Hamill's uh, um, trickster in the that show, which I, again I've never seen the '90s, so somebody's probably going, uh, "Duh!" It was the same way 20 years ago. But I, I've got the DVD set, so you can borrow some. Time. Oh yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, that that doesn't surprise me at all because he he was very expressive. There that one scene where they're like talking to him in the cell or something like that the first time they meet, that was just great. Yeah. So so and the other landmark thing that came out of Batman the animated series was that Kevin Conroy was actually the first person to do a separate voice for Bruce Wayne that then he used for Batman. Which just okay again when 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 you picture what Batman is supposed to sound like, it's Kevin fucking Conroy. Yeah. Like. Both Batman and Bruce Wayne are Kevin fucking Conroy. Like, the end. Great. However well Ben, ben Affleck plays it, however well Christian Bale plays it, I will hear uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman voice. That's, that's the only thing that concerns me about the Affleck Batman, is I don't know what they're going to do about the voice. Because... Uh, I think they got enough pushback. I don't think we got to worry too much about that. Christian I think... Bale did alright with Batman Begins, but then after that, I mean, it just kept getting progressively worse. Oh, yeah. And... Until the end, where it was like almost a like a parody of itself like by by the time the dark knight rises rises came out like you didn't know whose voice you hated more like his or bane's it, yeah it was uh yeah what did you say <laughs> we didn't catch that you you heard the the uh the rumors about why bane's voice was as pronounced as it was didn't you uh-uh. apparently when they when they shot um, originally, his voice was so muffled that you it was he was barely understandable. No, and the studio really, really pushed Nolan hard to change it, and so apparently he got fed up with with fighting with him about it, and so he went the complete opposite direction and made him sound like this. Yeah. <laughs> so his voice was a little ridiculous, um, but yeah. No, I, I think the, the next Batman incarnation, I think they're probably going to get the whole Batman voice versus Bruce Wayne voice right. Because to me, uh, the Bruce Wayne voice needs to be fake sounding. Like, it needs to be a little fake, a little over the top, nice, you know, douchey. It needs to be Because douchey. Bruce Wayne is the mask. Yeah, uh, and this is actually one of the things that I like. Um, if you saw Affleck in uh, Gone Girl, he can do douchebag very well, like... The, the character in that movie is very much a douchebag, and you only sort of sympathize him, with him a little bit as the movie goes on, but Ben <laughs> Affleck can definitely do this sort of quasi-douchey hey, level. I fucking watch Geely, all right? Oh, yeah. So I you know, know he can be a douchebag. Ben, ben, ben Affleck can be a douchebag. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think after the negativity, because there was a lot of negativity, like of all the criticism that I think the trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy got, that was a, a, got, a really god-awfully common one was that the uh, Batman voice was way over the top. And I get what they were going for, but it just, it sounded, it was too cartoony, too ridiculous. Um, so I think they're going to play it more like, uh, hopefully, like the animated series. Like, I hope they go sort of, Batman should sound serious, should sound, you know, cold, uh, um, maybe a little bit gravelly, but not ridiculously so. Yeah. He's yeah. still, he's still his, his voice is still a speaking voice. It's just a, a very... Um, intense speaking voice yeah no I, I i think i think that's probably accurate i hope it's accurate because man there's a million ways i could go wrong <laughs> what if they go too far they go too over the top yeah I'm like you gotta be gravy just growl harder they sound like a goddamn rottweiler what do you want me to do? right yeah. right like he's 
at some point he's just not saying words. Yeah. It just sounds like he's from some Dutch death metal band. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, and DC. God, I hope they get it. I hope they figure it out. Aquaman, I'm super, I'm super excited for Aquaman. Oh, yeah, there's another one that... Uh, so there's been a lot of casting that does not fit what the typical comic book character looks like. And... Uh, uh, Jason Momoa, obviously, Jason Momoa a does not dude. does not look like Aquaman comics at all um, in almost any of the incarnations I can think of. But it's still fucking brilliant. Like, I, perfect. I like this dude. Um, I was a huge fan of his um, from the Stargate franchise when I when he was uh, running on Stargate Atlantis. Yeah, and I I I really liked the the Conan movie that he did. See the I, the Conan movie was okay. Um, but I like Momoa in it. I thought Momoa did fine in the movie. It's just again, the the movie itself wasn't that great to begin with for a lot of different reasons. But I don't, I don't think. So a, we're never going to have a Conan that's like you, you can't. Be, you, it's you never going to be an Academy Award nominated film. Yeah, it just isn't going to be. So for what it was, I thought it was good, and and especially I I thought it was better for having him in it. Yeah. So yeah, that that was also a very I thought fitting casting choice. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman to me just looks awesome, and, and there's a, it's funny because, and maybe this is like a sign of the times that they came from, but all of the DC heroes and most of the the Marvel heroes up until a certain point, I think they got a little bit more progressive in the '70s, and then you started seeing some black characters and stuff like that. But um, the you know the originals especially were all basically carbon cut cut uh, white guys, you know, predominantly right. blonde haired. Uh, um, so it doesn't fit the comic book incarnation of the way he looks, um, but, but it makes complete sense, you know, because Momoa, um, Hawaiian, I think, or Samoan, or some kind of Pacific Islander. Yeah, yeah I mean, Pacific I Islander. I don't know what Pacific his Islander. Is. I, I never cared that much. But it, it just, so. um, oh, this is probably racist, but that, that sort of fits that whole, uh, I, I think, Atlantis aesthetic. I mean, there should be something a little bit. And again, this is probably like all the Hawaiians are probably going to watch this and be like, whatever, dude. Um, but like the, um, for the rest of us, you know, mainland white folk. Howleys. That's yeah. what I call us in Hawaii. Yeah, Howleys. For the rest of us, Howleys, the, uh, um, it, the, there's just enough sort of exoticness in that to make it a, a, good, a good little bit otherworldly, which is great. The the topic of race, I'm kind of I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too. Have you seen the Michelle Rodriguez uh, bits that have come out recently. Uh-uh. Um, apparently, well, actually, I think I've vaguely heard about this, but explain again. So, so when they when they first uh, started talking about Tyrese possibly being Green Lantern, apparently she, her name also came up, and they asked her about it. And uh, to be Green Lantern about being Green Lantern, yes. And yeah. she, I don't know if they if they caught her at a bad time or whatever, but she was um, she dismissed it, but not because. She was being particularly bitchy about it, but she did make a comment to the effect of, um, why do we have to steal other more white comic book heroes? Oh, yeah, okay. No, I heard about this. And, uh, I mean, later she issued, uh, they called it an apology. It wasn't really an apology. It was more of a, an elaboration on, on her statement that she made before about there needs to be multiracial superheroes. Why can't we create them and, and create good what is racial superheroes that stand on their own without having to be based on something that was a white dude before um and i kind of agree with that only i'm going to take heat for this because i'm a white dude and i don't know anything other than being a white dude but see i like it too well 
first off, uh, there's uh, positives to both because, you know, again, as a white dude and stuff like that, and especially um, for other people who are not, you know, like I have a fairly progressive views about, not fairly, I am progressive about race. Race to me is not an issue, but for a lot of people it is. I mean, a lot of people see race and even people who wouldn't describe themselves as racist, which is pretty much all of them, but um, see things like that and it's a big deal. But I think the more you get of that, um, the less, the more of a social norm it becomes until eventually it just sort of goes away. But on the other hand, I could understand from like a, a pride point, it, it would probably be upsetting to not see any uh, um, characters like you, you know, essentially. Yeah, no, and I get that. I, my, Which, you know, again, I don't know how like either of us could speak of us both being white dudes and right, everybody. I mean, right, and I, and I, I, I would I'm never... sort of jealous of Black Panther, but... I would, I would never presume to speak on behalf of, of a different race because I, I honestly haven't felt the, yeah. but speaking, the types of oppression or anything like that that other races have. So it, it just seems to me that I, I think she's, she's incredibly right, though, in, in terms of, of oh, yeah. going out and creating a character from scratch that, that can stand on its own. Green Lantern, I actually, I actually really dig specifically because there's a, a green lantern could beat anybody yeah that actually is one where it makes a lot of sense to do that or to go that direction and that would actually could you know she may even be arguing against herself because as far as i know there are no latino women green lanterns so far and so it would have to be uh, uh certainly a new ish i mean maybe they do some amalgamation of characters i, mean, again, I, I, I think i think the point probably was was and to create an entirely new franchise superhero not yeah, see, you know, the thing the thing there is I, I think she may not realize exactly what she's asking for because that is no small feat, especially because at this point our superheroes are sort of like modern Greek gods in that they are established and it's very hard to create a new superhero that's any, that is any sort of popular. What, what I like about the Green Lantern Corps <laughs> is that you didn't have humans as Green Lanterns either um, yeah. until Hal Jordan. You had Hal Jordan. Yeah. Okay, he's a white dude. Yep. You had Guy Gardner. He's really white because he's, he's got the freckles and the red hair and all that kind of stuff, right? Totally. But then your next one was John Stewart. People. Yeah. Then you had Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner was one of the more progressive Green Lanterns, although he was white as well. And then um, now you have uh, a Middle Eastern Green Lantern in Simon Bass. Yeah. And that, I think, was a huge move for DC. Um, yeah. Just in terms of, of all of the Middle Eastern culture... Oh yeah, that we see in the news, and not necessarily the culture. I don't want to. I don't want to call it the culture because not all of them live that way. Um, I mean, culture. Cult, yeah, you, it's hard to describe um, somebody being Middle Eastern. But, I think, but that, with that's the negative portrayal, culture. yeah, with the negative portrayal of the Middle East oh. that we see on TV every single fucking day these days, definitely. Like, I think there's it was, it there's was hardly a more stereotype culture in America today than anything to do with the Middle East, which is ridiculous because there is the. The Middle East is like any other sw large, gigantic swath swath of the population, which is to say, New Yorkers are radically different than Oregonians, that are radically different than Texans. I mean, there is, and it is much different as they are. They're the same, and, and I think that's true pretty much anywhere in the world you go. Um, there, there's as much different as there is the same. Um, but yeah, I, I like that they they go those routes, and I like that they do things like that because it's. Uh, again, imagine being a Middle Eastern kid in the United States. It's got to be nice to see somebody Middle Eastern who's not a fucking terrorist with a turban every goddamn time. Yeah, um, I, I actually kind of was was really relieved when I watched um, the the remake of Red Dawn. Uh, oh yeah, specifically because 
they could have easily gone in the direction of it was it was Middle Easterners. Yeah, um, and they didn't. I mean, obviously, they. I thought that was kind of interesting too because they obviously just went. To me, it was a little bit like, well, we need what was the first one? Communists, Russia. Yeah, it was Russia the first. Uh, okay, so we're going with North Koreans this time because yeah. we need more communists. The funny part about that was I. I you know, for whatever nuclear capability North Korea may or may not have, I don't think they do. Uh, or at least they, as far I as we they, know, we don't. They, they don't they have any they North... <laughs> I, I think uh, um, it's laughable to think of that country being any sort of threat to world stability. Like, uh, that's not true. Not world stability, but being any sort of major threat to America. Well, the thing is, is we've got to be careful who we pick on because... And I don't want to get too much into politics because this, this podcast is going to be fun. But yeah, um, the the thing about... North Korea is that they are communist. Yeah. And so is China. And it doesn't really matter. Oh yeah, China China definitely I think that's the biggest problem with stepping on North Korea's feet is that everybody's too nervous about pissing off China. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't really matter if if North Korea has a nuclear program or not. China fucking does. Yeah. So um but that that being said, again, um and probably cut that, but because yeah. I don't, I don't want to do too much about politics in terms of that. The the race thing within the comic book thing, I'm I'm totally fine with because I I I think it's relevant. Oh yeah, no, um, I I don't know. We'll get get meta for a second, but yeah, I don't want to go too far down the political route. But it, the race thing in comic books, I think, is definitely part of that discussion. I mean, it's something I think should be probably talked about a little bit, and, and not really the focal point, but it definitely is something that should be brought up as part of something like that especially in comic books where reasonably progressive these days i think comic books are reasonably progressive in the routes that they're going yeah there's there's a few openly gay uh yeah comic and, characters and now again, midnighter midnighter's a new one that just came out and it's uh it, it he's he's i i have no idea what his character is because I, I haven't read the book yet but yeah. um batwoman yeah which is part she came out with the new 52 that was she was one of the the inaugural titles and it's getting canceled with convergence. I mean, with a lot of other books that are getting yeah. canceled as well. But um, she was she was the first openly LGBT um, DC character, I think. Yeah, I like that. that. I like that um, too because this to me, like we've had gay characters on TV and in media for quite a while now. I mean, we've had gay characters since uh, uh, at least the '90s. I think the first big gay character. Somebody's probably going to come in and tell me I'm an idiot, but the first big gay character on TV that I remember was Ellen. Right. And I remember it being a big deal when she came out on TV. It was huge. Yeah. Um, but that was also kind of the first time that we started acknowledging that gay characters do not have to be giant flaming stereotypes. I no. mean, certainly there are some gay people that are giant flaming stereotypes, like any other swath of the population. Like, there are certainly some white people that fit a giant stereotype. But uh, I like that they... That, that, to me, I think is a big sign of progression when we don't portray every single character like that, like that giant stereotype. Because probably far more accurate stereotype for gay people, Middle Eastern people, etc. is that they're just normal people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I have more friends now uh, that are gay than, than I used to. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not because I think it's any more acceptable or, or anything at this point. It's just because I think my, I, me as a human being, um, choose not to care. Yeah. anymore you know i mean i didn't care before but i think it's it's now it's become even more of a thing and and i think a little bit of that is growing up to like um i don't know i guess i when i was a kid i cared a lot more about who i was friends with i don't really particularly have anything 
against gay people. I, I, but part of it too is I just didn't really know any gay people that um, at the time had any sort of overlapping interests, you know. So, and I, I don't typically have you know lots and lots of friends anyway. So, well, I mean, you're an asshole. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> hey, fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just one of those things, and I, I think it's I think it's good that that comic books comic books have always been more progressive i don't we've been talking about arrow a lot um yeah or maybe not talking about it a lot but it's been mentioned quite a bit one of the things that um that dc did before anybody was um talk openly about drugs uh speedy the character of, of roy harper um was was a heroin addict um and there was actually issues depicting um him using and the comics code basically forbade DC from doing it. They said, we're not going to put our stamp on this. And DC said, I guess we'll publish it without your stamp then. And that was the first time in decades that, that a, a comic book had been published without the, the stamp with the comics code authority on it. Wow. Um, and, and it kind of set the tone for, for people to, to do what they wanted to do. Not, not necessarily just to go hog wild, but, the comics code is, is extinct at this point. There, I mean, I don't think they even put the stamp on any comics anymore. Well, I mean, it's an entertainment property, so, I mean, any sort of entertainment property, I think, can be part of that. But especially general, general entertainment, I don't think should take too much of a focus on, on that type of thing. Like, um, I don't know, you kind of have to decide what your book's going to be about or what your movie's going to be about or whatever. And it's okay to, I think, introduce themes uh, uh, branching off of that a little bit um, that don't have to be the focal point. But, I mean, if you're not writing a vehicle for uh, um, that that type of, I don't want to say political, but I can't think of a better word, you know, like sort of political discourse or, um, you know, to sort of highlight that type of thing, then I, I don't think it should be too focal. But, yeah, I, I think what's important probably is telling a good story yeah. with that with the comics so you know, when you set limits on what kind of stories you can tell that really limits what you can actually do and sometimes telling a good story requires you you know to go past arbitrary limits you've set for yourself so yeah and and honestly i i think arrow the way that it's it's kind of gone about things is is mia obviously is the one that has the you know the, the drug issues or not mia um uh thea thea Mia was a different Green Arrow character from the comics. Sorry. Yeah. No, I I actually didn't even catch it for a second, and then I'm like, Wait yeah, Thea. A second. Thea obviously is the one that that had the, the you know the problems with the drugs and stuff like that. Roy um, had his own issue, but uh, I the Arsenal character I think is really really cool because that is eventually what Speedy evolved into was Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but he did it kind of sans Green Arrow because he had he and he and Roy had a falling out after the drug issue and, and stuff like that. And um, recently in one of the comics, Arsenal showed up to help Green Arrow in, well, I, th- I think they're in Seattle in the, in the, in the current incarnation at this point. Uh, that sounds right. Could be, it could it. be Star I City. I haven't kept up but, too much with the, um, the Green Arrow comics. But he showed up in, in one, of the, one of the things, and, and the New 52 has not talked about this at all because I've read every single issue of Green Arrow since the New 52 started, and they, they, Roy Harper wasn't mentioned ever in it until now. Mm. And, but he shows up, and like the first thing he says to Oliver is, don't, don't think this means we're good. <laughs> you know? But, um, and, and I think it's kind of cool that, that 
this is years and years later, decades later, and and this is like there's still heat between these two characters because of of that one particular event that that changed the way the comics code was looked at. So yeah, do you play video games at all? Very rarely do I get a chance to really play video games. Yeah, me either. I mean, I play but, Minecraft uh, a little bit when I'm sitting upstairs in my room. I'm gonna make an exception. Like, uh, I don't get a chance to play video games a whole lot, but usually when something I really want to play comes out, I'll play it for like a week straight. I, I bought Injustice like a full year after it came out just because yeah. it's um, it's a badass game and I got it for like 20 bucks for the Game of the Year edition that had the extra characters and shed, but... No, my, my next, like, God I Need It game is uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, see, I, I beat Arkham Asylum mm-hmm. probably only about a third of the way through Arkham City and I just don't have time to play. Yeah. Like, it's no, been I, so long since I played that now I'd probably start it over just because it, it's yeah. it's almost impossible to pick up. I, did that, I think I did that a couple of times before I made it through the main Arkham City storyline. Arkham City's huge, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Arkham Asylum was a big game. That's what I'm looking forward to about Arkham Knight is it's even bigger from what I understand. I don't... Uh, Arkham City was the last one that Hamill did the voice for uh, from yeah. Joker. And I'm kind of disappointed about that. It wasn't bad... Um, What's the other one? Not, it wasn't Rocksteady. Arkham Origins. Origins, yeah. I played. Um, I really like all the Batman games. And Origins wasn't a bad game, um, but it wasn't quite like a... It's actually the kind of the problem that I had with the guy that played the Joker in that one, which is it sounds like a Mark Hamill impression. And Mark Hamill impression. Um, or Mark Hamill's Joker impression. And that's kind of how the whole game is. The whole game kind of feels like a bit like a Arkham impression rather than... <laughs> Arkham joke. Mm. Yeah. No, I, yeah, man, I, I haven't played video games a lot lately. Um, and I'm still, like, as sad as it sounds, I kind of miss some of the old 16-bit games. Um, or even 8-bit. Like, Final Fantasy has been one of my favorite franchises forever, but I, I, I fucking hate a lot of the newer games. Like, 13 I got, and I won't say I hate it, but it's so linear. Like, it's, it's so linear. Uh, see, I... I never really liked the Final Fantasy games a whole lot because I just wanted to skip all the bullshit in the middle and get to the good parts. Like, I like the storyline in the Final Fantasy games. Like, I probably like the, the Final Fantasy movie better than I like the Final Fantasy games. Um, I, dude, I might have to revoke your nerd card. I know for that because that movie was terrible. I know, I know. I, I mean, like unless that. you're talking about Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, and then but I then you're on to something. I don't really like. Uh, I don't know. There's the grind in it, especially now. Like now, I just do not have fucking time to to, to do the grind. See, and and I'm a completionist, so some of my favorite parts are the grinding, and and building up the materia or finding like in Final Fantasy VII. Like that's a big deal is finding used, all the materia. I used to like stuff like I mean that was that was, it was a bit different too. Like when I had time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. Fucking kids. But when I had time, fucking kids. Uh. Like WoW, I, when I was playing WoW, like I I didn't actually mind leveling too much in WoW, um, because it's kind of fun too. And if you pick new places to go each time, and especially at some point WoW got big enough, you could always find somewhere new to check out if you were so inclined. Um, so that wasn't too bad. But I, um, I love the story of of World of Warcraft, and and I still enjoy playing it. My problem is is all the fucking dicks. Oh yeah, I can't. It's too big. Stand my it, favorite. Man. My favorite um, multiplayer, massive multiplayer, and it's kind of funny to even call it massive, massive now, but I used to play a MUD. You know what a MUD is? Right. Okay, so I used to, especially in high school, I used to play a MUD um, called Fight R, which is 
probably like this tiny little thing that no one else has ever heard of on this podcast. If you had, please email me, even if it's like a year from now when you hear this. But um, the uh, you're listening to this and you're not already friends with us, yeah. please email us. Yeah, the server, <laughs> the server maybe had a maximum of 120 active players. So at any given time, you maybe had 20 players on. Um, but it was super fun because at that small of a scale, A, you always knew who the top fucking guy was. Like, there was a big moment, like, because there's this one guy who's practically untouchable levels, and I remember taking that guy out one time and, like, seriously having a huge nerd cred bo- boost. Um, but it was always fun because there's a lot more community aspect to it. Like, you knew people a lot better, and you didn't get nearly the level of dickatry that you do on... Um, uh, um, you know, modern day massive multiplayer because modern day massive multiplayer has so many people that the the cross uh, um, cross cut of assholes is you know regular to the regular population. So which is a lot. Sorry, yeah, guys. like I I I never was it was elitist about how well I played and and I made mistakes when I played. Oh, yeah. You know, but but there's that 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 fucking group of of just and it does it's not a particular group, but there's one out there playing right now i guarantee it that just all they do while they're playing is berate the other people that they're playing with about oh, how know. they play I their character that. and that's that's like half of half of the people that played wow it felt like there there's like the one half or it's probably a much smaller like a quarter an eighth of people that just don't play that often or are new to the game or something like that and then there's the other half that are just dicks to everybody who who has not run that instance, you know, 47 times. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm sorry. I mean, I'm 37 years old. I don't I don't actually have the patience oh, to be berated by 12-year-olds on a regular basis. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Like plus there is a little sort of a ego crushing when you, when you realize that you're being berated by a 12-year-old who's way fucking better than you. Like <laughs> Yeah, I just, but I take pride in knowing that if we were in the same room, I would physically spank him yeah. for the way he was you talking could to me. Beat the shit out of that kid, <laughs> and nobody, everybody would probably say you, you, you should have, you know, it would be completely justified. Yeah. No, my, I, I much preferred playing, uh, or I much prefer playing, sort of heavily storyfied single player, um, which the other game that I. desperately want to play but I can't bring myself to buy a PS3 or PS4 for as The Last of Us. I I haven't played it. Which is not a... um, It's really well reviewed but it's very story driven um, and it's not a really super long game from what I understand but the story is really good. That's one that I I really want to play. Uh, You haven't played The Walking Dead games? I have not. The Walking Dead games I actually told Ashley to play it and Ashley doesn't play fucking anything. Like She she, uh, plays Tetris and we play uh, Mario games on the Wii sometimes, or hey, she'll play hey, Mario Kart. With she'll kids. beat your ass at Pod Racer. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> she she doesn't play any. Like it's, she's never even probably uh, held a controller during a game of Halo or anything like that. You know, um, but I I suggested she play the Walking Dead game because it's it's much more like a um, playable movie than it is traditional video game. Yeah, no, I I actually haven't had a chance to to pick those up, but I'm glad you mentioned The Walking Dead because we should probably talk about that. We have to talk about The Walking Dead, and at some point, I think that's probably what I was going to talk to you about. Hit issue 100. Right. Negan's a fucking asshole. Right, right. Which, Um, uh, I'm not not very far, so don't get too far. I think the only thing I've had 
and this was really hard because I, I, I'm not spoiling it for Ashley, so I had to poke her face really fucking hard when I was like, oh, so I just found out who Negan is because she knows that Negan comes because I basically told her the only thing I know about Negan so far, and I'm, I'm really, really trying hard not to figure it out on my own without going through it in the comics or anything or in the show, is that he is a complete fucking dickwad. Like, whatever the governor was, he is that times a million. And so this this uh, last week with the Walking Dead finale, the speculation's been, you know, which of the big characters is going to get it? Because the, the, the speculation was one of the big characters is going to die. And I was, I don't know, babe. And I just got done reading the, the issue where Negan just brutally fucking murders Glenn with a baseball bat. And I was like, "Well, yeah, I don't know who's the next one going to be. It could be anybody." So I'm gonna I'm gonna break tradition and uh, and and the podcast land, and I, I am gonna talk about the comic books and the TV series concurrently. Yeah. Um. I it, it pisses me off because I I love Chris Hardwick and I love The Talking Dead, yeah. but the fact that they never mention the relevancy of the comic books on oh, that show it drives me goddamn nuts. Like. You, I understand that they're not the same, but you can't treat it like it doesn't exist. And, oh, I know. And I'm sure it drives harder the same than crazy too. I, I I almost guarantee it does because I I don't know him, but I know he's he's the type of like he's not a face like he he's somebody that might actually presumably read the book at some point. He does what we want to do because he's passionate about it, and yeah. that's uh, so so I, I get where he's coming from there. But um, so yeah, I don't know that they're going to kill Glenn in the TV series. I actually that I, that's what made me feel a little bit better because I had the same thought because we cannot you can't really just go by the book because if you went by the book by now Andrea would still be alive Carol would be long gone uh, I I I really really like both the TV series and the comic book and one of the reasons I like the TV series as much as I do is because it isn't exactly the same oh I yeah would, I would have been bored with it already if it was oh, that that's a very valid point a um. They've changed some things about the comic. Like, it, it was just aggravating to no end. And I wasn't reading the book at the time that I was watching this happen in the show, but Andrea, everything to do with Andrea in the show, I, I kept seeing comic readers over and over again say how fucking ridiculous Andrea was compared to comic Andrea. And now I'm, you know, still 100 books in, and Andrea's a fucking badass. Like, Andrea is. I, but you know what? I, I didn't hate Andrea in the show because I, this, is, this is what pisses me off. And I'm a fanboy, but I'm not the fanboy that says this This is stupid because it's not exactly like what I already know. Yeah. Again, and I pointed this out already, I like the fact that there's differences. Um, it, it keeps me guessing. Oh, yeah, you could take a look at, like, uh, the the two that I would think of would be Carol. Carol in the show is, like, one of my favorite characters, even though she was a, practically a nothing in the book. But Carol's one of my favorite so characters. So weak in the book. Because, so weak. Because they went such a good direction with her. Um but Andrea, the, the the opposite. I mean, so okay, Andrea could have been annoying, um, and that would have been fine as long as that was how they decided the direction they decided to go with the character. The problem with Andrea in the in the show to me was she just made the dumbest fucking decisions. Like plausible deniability, you just can't get past it. Like she makes stupid decisions, even with you know once you once you forgive the whole plot aspect of things. Like she she makes stupid decisions to advance the plot, but not in the remotely believable decisions yeah yeah so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna call i'm gonna call Scott Gimple out on the carpet a little bit and i'm gonna say that everything that I heard going into the season finale this year of The Walking Dead was that it was huge it was epic 
Oh, yeah. And I did not get that impression from it when I watched it. In fact, it was probably one of the milder finales or mid-season finales. This was the this was the season finale, not mid-season. But the mid-season finale was more I, groundbreaking to me than the, than the season finale. The only question that, this, that the season finale left me with was... Um, oh, what's his name? Which one, Rick? No, I'm not Rick. The... Um, I can't remember his name. He is a third level character, second level character. He's the 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 black dude from like the very first episode or the first. Oh, two Morgan. Episodes. Morgan. Morgan. See, Ninja Morgan too. I don't think is that's that's a completely different character from the book. But anyway, I digress. You were saying, you know, Mor- Morgan. Like that's the only thing that the, the season finale left me with is what is what does Morgan think about what just happened? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but I think Morgan's been living out there in that. Like he's been out in it so i think the what everybody wants to believe is that morgan can't believe that rick just did that but i don't think that morgan's gonna have nearly as big of a problem with it as anybody else i have a hard time believing that too because everybody really okay so the scene earlier in the finale where morgan is essentially trying to talk this guy out of The, the wolves yeah he's trying to talk the wolf out of doing something stupid and she's such a nice guy effect like um, you you don't have to kill me. You can take all my shit. I don't care. Yeah. He shows five seconds later he does not have to allow that to happen. If, I mean, like literally a minute later after he says that he sh- he shows definitively he does not have to allow that to happen. He could have killed that guy at any fucking point he wanted to. Yep. Um. So I have a hard time believing that he's gonna have a, a whole lot of problem to it because again a minute later he does. He just owns the guy. I mean, it's clear at that point there's not really another choice to be made in that situation, but, I mean, it's brutal even still. I mean, he, he doesn't kill him, though. He, he locks him in the car. Yeah, I guess there's that, but it's also not like he exactly, um, you know, shoved, shoved him on their way with a canteen of water or anything like that. It's right. not like, like I, I, I'm not rationally thinking that those two guys are going to be all happy-go-lucky and we'll see him again in a couple episodes. I mean, I could just for. Didn't we know, see him later on? Weren't they the ones that were that were setting the uh, resetting the trap? That the, could be. I, I, I think it was the same dudes. Couldn't keep him straight, but I would I would think that'd be more plot armor than real world plausibility. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I have a hard time believing that too. Morgan's been out in the shit long enough, and he knows exactly what those guy what that guy's capable of within the first few seconds. So well, I could see Morgan saying, or or maybe admonishing Rick because there were other options in that situation than just straight up execution style bullet to the head but and we can't forget the last time we saw morgan he was out of his fucking head oh that's true too and See, that that's another thing that i think is important to remember about morgan is he's probably at least a little bit cracked like whatever sort of buddha ninja shit he's into now like he's he's got to be at least a little bit nuts still it it's here's my guess and this is spirit speculation to the highest degree but my guess is the angle that they're going to be taking with it is that he was out of his head Rick showed him that you can come back from this. Now it's going to be the... And then he walks in and sees Rick doing mirror. what he did. And that's, that's, that's the direction I think it's going to be is, is Morgan is looking at Rick going, wait, you taught me that we don't have to be this, but you're doing this. See, I, I think you're probably right. I think that actually makes for an interesting storyline that I don't, I don't think... Maybe, again, only 100 books in, but I don't, I don't think I've really seen that so far. I mean, you see Rick's similar progression... But also, that's another thing the show's played up a little bit more, which I think, to great effect, Rick is much more um, almost anti-hero at this point. 
Like, he makes much more morally questionable decisions at this point. When the show first started, I hadn't read the comics yet. Any of them. Yeah. And I, I watched probably the first season, maybe two seasons of the show. Um, no, probably just the first one, because I don't think I'd met the governor yet by the time I read the comics. Because And I read all of the comics up until whatever was current at that point. Yeah. Um, so by the time they got to the prison in the show... I was already well ahead. Yeah. Um, but one thing that was very, very, at the time I thought obvious to me was that Daryl in the show was there to do the dirty work that Rick does in the comic books. And the reason why I thought that, and, and, and it might have been true at the time. I don't think it's true anymore, but, no. um, at the time, I think that, that TV was probably still having a struggle with having the hero of the story be the guy that does those things. And so they brought Daryl in. Daryl does those things. Meanwhile, Rick can keep being Rick. It's not that way anymore in the show, obviously. And I, I don't know if that has to do with the fact that they've gone through several showrunners. Well, I think a little bit, too. Um, AMC's other, I mean, biggest property ever probably is Breaking Bad. And yeah. the whole story of Breaking Bad, uh, uh, and again, I, I'm only a few episodes in, but it's such a popular part of um, pop culture these days. It's hard not to know Walter White is not exactly a, a good guy, you know. Oh, you're not you're not finished with Breaking Bad? No. I'm okay. Like, yeah. Ashley and I started watching it. We're like five episodes in. Okay. Um. But yeah, I mean, it it's clear. Even you'll from understand the by the time you're done with that show why this is a different case. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but I will someday. You so. will, you will. Okay, um, but... And I don't want to. I'm not going to throw out any spoilers for you. Um, I, obviously, and I'm going to throw this out there for the podcast listeners. Um, this will contain spoilers, just so you guys are aware. We'll try and point that out in any description of every episode that there's spoilers for things. But I think I'll pro at some point met again meta announcement i will probably edit in a like spoilers and then go back. yeah please please do not listen to our podcast and and get upset when we talk about things that happen in the flash and things that happen in daredevil and whatever else because uh it's what we want to talk about this is why we want to do this um so just just bear that in mind people yeah. and also this goes back to earlier if you're 12 and you're a dickhead to anybody playing an MMO, fuck off. <laughs> I could say that because I'm a grown up. I can also eat cookies for breakfast, you little bitch. Oh. We'll cut that. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? That's gonna be the tagline. Whatever. I can eat cookies for breakfast, you little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I did I did help potty train your kid. Yeah. By telling him that I was allowed to eat cookies because I didn't shit my pants. Dude, that's what it was. I keep I keep trying to remember exactly where the moment was, and that was like the thing that did it actually. That, that's uh <laughs> Ash's been watching these kids for the last week. Um Jackson went to the school with their kids uh in preschool, and so Ashley and her mom have kinda quasi kept up on Facebook and shit like that. But uh so anyway, they needed someone to watch these kids. So Ashley's been watching Amanda's kid two kids, infant and uh, another kid, and then she was watching this other kid who's like uh, Jackson's age, Hannah. She's like two. And then on Friday, she had all of those kids plus Hannah's older brother 
who's five or six, so not too bad. And then this other kid that Debbie, um, Ash's mom, is watching. And she's, like, going nuts. And I was like, no, you, you've just got to use the Carol method of parenting. Like, you just tell them you're going to hang them up and let them, you know, be eaten alive. And then <laughs> look at the flowers. themselves. <laughs> like, honestly, that was so brutal. That was so brutal. One of my favorite scenes ever in the show. Like, oh, it was epic. Just the casual, matter-of-fact manner in which she tells a child that she's going to hang them outside and let them be eaten alive by zombies and no one will hear their screams. Like, I, I, I got to wonder... Obviously, those two little girls were were Ben and and Ben's little brother yeah, from the definitely. comics. Um, and I kind of wonder why they went with Carol and not Carl for that. But I I think Carl maybe already establishes a pretty strong character, and I think that was probably one of the defining moments in who Carol was. I yeah, I think that those two are definitely who the show Carol is by far. And I think that um, oh god, it's been a while. Like, I I'm pretty sure in the comics, Carl is responsible for Lori as well. No, because that's different, because Judith never makes it out of that. No, Judith doesn't make it past the prison in the comic books. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and Judith, Judith, in fact, dies at the same time as Lori. Yeah, So, but I don't remember how Lori dies in the comics. But She gets shot by the governor. Okay, you take yeah, them so both that, that That's definitely different. Um, so I think that they already had that a little bit with Carl in the, the books, because, I mean, killing a couple fucking kids compared to killing your mom is probably... You know, a little bit lower on the totem pole. So yeah, yeah. Um, man, you you really got to catch up on those comics, man. Like you're you're at issue hundred. Yeah, I'm out of issues. I like I have a hundred and two, and I haven't been able to find uh, come up with them. So also talking a little while ago about uh, you said you'd heard and I'd heard kind of the same thing. This is going to be like a majorly epic episode, and I thought this was going to be a huge divergence in the comics, or we were going to skip ahead further. Okay, again, big spoilers. Uh, or big-ish spoilers. I thought we were going to get to the part where uh, Jesse dies, like, and the kid dies, because that too would have been a pretty big moment for Rick's character. I thought, um, but they they didn't make it there. I mean, really, it it was sort of a matter-of-fact episode. I think even for the show watchers, like um, show watchers, not comic readers, I, like I turned to Ashley when I got done, and I kind of you know, okay, so what do you think? She's kind of like, ah, yeah, like it, yeah. it wasn't like we were both expecting. We were both expecting somebody to die, like I, I'd, um, especially because they were very deliberate. I thought about hinting and sticking the characters in situations where it was very obvious they could die. Like I thought for sure Daryl was dead when they were stuck in the car. Like right, right. I thought for sure when he was telling when he was telling Aaron, was it Aaron? Yeah, it's Aaron. Yeah, to go. I thought for sure that um, um, Glenn was gonna die, or I was pretty sure Glenn was gonna die. Like when they shot him, especially, I was like, well, that's it. So I what. And I, and I don't mean to take the wind out of anybody's sails as far as the, the season finale. It was a good episode. I don't want anybody to think that I yeah, think it was see, a good episode. Because it was suspenseful in, in those particular moments. And well done, too. Like, the, what they did, they did very well. But they set it up and... Extremely well done. And as far as... And I don't mean to cut you off, but as far as some of the um, effects with the zombies go, um, my wife and I have both been known to be pretty critical of Nicotero, not in his work with special effects, but just in his enhanced role as kind of the face of the show yeah um because he's he's kind of a douchebag sometimes on tv <laughs> i i and nicotero if you hear this i got respect for what you do um come on the show tell us why you're not a douchebag yeah no it's that that too but no it's just it's just one of those i kind of feel like he's and maybe not of his own design but he's kind of being thrown out 
into that position. Yeah. You know what I mean? I honestly know nothing about it, so um, at least I like you. Maybe I don't know. But but the effects the effects have always been pretty good and stuff. But but kind of predictable sometimes. And there was there was a, there was a few moments in that in that final episode of the season where even Casey was like, "All right, Nicotero, you got me. You got me with that one." You know. <laughs> so um, so that was actually that was actually a shout out, uh, Nicotero. So thank you. Um, don't if, you're, if you're looking up the, <laughs> the definition of backhanded compliment, uh, <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Um, I just call it like I see it, man. Yeah, don't, no, don't take it personal. Uh, yeah, no, there was a couple of awesome. First up, I always look out for the cool zombie kills, and you got to give it up for the uh, triple-headed uh, whip kill. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that that was pretty badass. Um, but no, actually, that was the thing we were talking about the other day. Uh, somebody was watching season one. I think my I think Ash's mom was watching season one and she was watching an episode when we got home from something or season two maybe and the effects have gotten way better the zombie makeup has gotten way better like it if you go back and look at them it's probably comically uh, uh better what what I really think is cool about the show Not comically oops <laughs> what I, what I really think about the show is 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 cool about the show sorry the zombies in terms of be, like from season one up until now mm-hmm. The rate of decay is increasing. Like you, you see that uh, obviously, yeah. and some of the zombies are not as as old, but like there's, there's been a lot of shit that's happened since the since the show started. Well, what are they like two years in? I think they're like two years in now. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's two. They, well, they've got to be because Judith is fucking like a toddler in real life. So, well, real life, yeah, but I mean, in terms of Showtime, I mean, show, but Showtime, there's no way they can plausibly say she's less than a year old. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I think it's about two, two maybe maybe three, but yeah, um, but I I like that that there's been a progression with how like the 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 walkers are definitely not as as solid as they used to be. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like there was like parts of season two, like I think when um, what was oh, his name? I mean, they used to when they when they when they first went to the farm and and uh, Shane and uh, he's a douchebag in the comics. When Shane shot him when he when he shot him in the leg and and let the zombies take him and he ran. Yeah, Otis, it's Otis. Otis, right? Otis, yeah. Those those zombies were more a lot more agile. See, that was another thing though that, that I think they must have made a deliberate decision about because in the early like in one of the first episodes, I think when they're in Atlanta, when they we were climbing made, shit. Yeah, they were climbing shit and like trying to break. One, I I want to say it's in like where we first meet Andrea and the small group she's with, and probably that's where T Dog is too. And they're Pretty. in the 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 um, I miss T Dog. Whatever store they're in, whatever store they're in, and one of the zombies is like trying to break the window with a rock. Right, right. It was using a tool. Yeah, it's like, well, that's kind of not right at all for the the story, but whatever. Um, but yeah, no, they've definitely so they they've obviously gone away from that. I, I think that's because uh, what was his name, Frank Darabont, just didn't get to make the calls anymore, and he wanted to go with a more aggressive, more uh, fearful zombie, and that really wasn't what the show was going to be about. So no, the, the show re- retcon that shit like right away. Yeah, the, the focus of the show, as far as I'm concerned, never should have been the zombies. Never should have been the walkers. It's the Walking Dead, the comic book series, and Kirkman said this himself: is not about zombies. It's no. about the human condition and what happens to a person. Yeah, no, the zombies set up the the element for which uh, certain those sorts of personalities and things like that can manifest. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure you could probably tell a similar story with limited food source on a you know deserted island or something like that. Zombies, for, fuck the zombies. Like, forget about the zombies for a second. 
I'm sure that there's a similar story. I mean, granted, the zombies are a very interesting vehicle to go with that, but yeah, no, it should know it. Making it about the zombies early on makes a little bit of sense because you have to set them up as like a point, a, a thing to fear. But trying to make them like I think Darabont was trying to make them more threatening, and they didn't really need to be because that's not really what's what's threatening in the show. What's threatening in the show is other fucking people. Yeah, but well, yeah, and I think that's becoming more apparent now. Um, but yeah. that's I, I like how they incorporate the zombies now versus before. I mean, now the walkers yeah. are there and they they play their part. Yeah, they're they're but, a nuisance except for when you do something stupid. And, it, and it's even it's even filmed that way now. Like you you. You see things, you see people going about doing their thing, and then, like, in the background, there's, like, there's walkers kind of bumping at each other in the background and stuff like yeah. that. But they're, the way it's filmed is that this is obviously not the problem. What the problem is is what's happening between this dude and this dude over here. Yeah. You know? Um, and I wanted to, to, to go back to what you were talking about earlier about having um, a divergence from the, the comic book storyline. Yeah. That is happening. This whole thing with the wolves... I'm gonna go ahead and, and and spoiler yeah spoiler alert on that one um, and even for you, but that wolves do not play a part in the comic book in any well, way, shape, or form. So that's all new. I'm caught. I, I'm further ahead in the comics than the show is now, and I'm far enough ahead that now, like you never hear any hear or see anything about the wolves. But that's also a little bit true. Like uh, I want to say the hunters, the hunter storyline and the terminus thing. Terminus the wasn't yeah. They weren't really a thing in the comics so much. I mean, the Hunter storyline was a couple of issues, I think. Oh, with and, the cannibals? Yeah, and Terminus, yeah. Terminus wasn't a, a really a thing at all. Like, uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty the, sure the, Terminus the, is a the purely show. Terminus at all was, was completely the show. Uh, the, show. Yeah. Um, the, the cannibals obviously were a, an important part yeah. um, in the comic book because that's the first time Carl ever saw Rick being like, full-on Rick yeah. was, was during that, that particular event. That that again, you know, kind of shows the character too. Like, that's brutal. But that that to me was like that's brutal. But those fucking guys deserved it. Like, now we get to more more. At, the further you go, the more morally gray you get. As far as like, yeah, I could. There's an argument there, but also isn't that kind of totally fucked up? Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I I love what I what I do really really like about the last few episodes of the season. Now that they're in the community, um, is how Michonne completely just adopted the place as her home. Oh yeah, you know? like ten seconds. She's and like, oh, they got like, showers. We're she good. wanted to be there before they got there. You know, like she was ready to give into it at that point. But Rick and Carol, without even talking to each other, were both just like, "What do we need to do if we need to take this place over?" See, that's another like really good divergence. What um in the show. Like that that wasn't Carol in the comic at all. No. And I loved that I loved that it was like four like they're like, you know, twins, brother and sister, you know, whatever sort of connection you want, but they both were just kinda like, So these guys are a bunch of little bitches and we can totally take them out if we want to. Yeah, and total totally right there in twelve seconds or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I I I think I really like Carol's progression in that and because she went from this character at the beginning that was weak and, and she was being beaten by her husband and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, she's, she's almost got the best progression out of any of the characters in the show that we've you know, seen. He gets taken out of the equation and she kind of grows into this force, you know, basically. Oh, yeah. To the point where they're in prison and these people just all of a sudden are like all burned and shit. And she was like, oh, yeah, it was me. And he was like, oh, I'm just going to leave you here in this town now because I can't. Yeah, and you'll be fine. Yeah. And now, like, she's back with the rest of the fold. And I, I don't know that they can 
they could be where they're at without her. Obviously, they couldn't because she like terminus like they would have been dead in terminus if it wasn't for her. Oh yeah. So um, I think the most obvious and probably the 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 most visual slap you in the face with this metaphor moment was when she's uh, holding the knife and talking to Pete. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She's got the knife up to him and she's talking to him. And you can see, even though Pete is twice her, like almost literally twice her size, um, pound for pound for pound, she's like literally twice his size. Uh, um, but it doesn't feel like that at all. You can clearly see who the who the dominant one is there. Yeah, and it's not even a contest. It's like Pete. Pete isn't even close. It doesn't matter what the sizes are. But you know, my 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 only problem with that whole part was like she totally made him her bitch. Yeah. But when he, when Rick and him were fighting, like he was going at it with Rick, like they were like, oh, I thought that that actually was another thing I liked because I think Carol, um, which again done differently in the show than the comic, but I think Carol in the in the show was part of the driving force of why we got the the uh, where we got in the show. Carol emasculated him so badly that he wanted to take it out on Rick, uh, um, who's another you know emasculating force in his life. Uh, um, at the at the time, so well. No, this was this was Carol's confrontation with him was after Rick and him got into a fight. After they got in the fight, but the the penultimate... that was that was my problem was that he went toe to toe with Rick and actually kind of held his own. Yeah, and then all of a sudden Carol walks in and she's half his size, and yeah, she's got a knife, but like, yeah, he was totally submissive to Carol, but to Rick. Yeah, and and that's that is not really an accurate portrayal okay, of of, of a point. domestic. Um, doesn't abuser. make a lot of sense from you know a I mean? plot from a plot standpoint. He should be looking at her as a. He should have been more than willing to hit her and bound and, and stepped away from Rick. That's... Yeah. Again, maybe we're talking positives for Carol because there's sort of a different dynamic. Maybe he, you know, you. I would. I don't know psychology wise, but I would guess the abuser sees the abusee as this like weak thing, and they're not going to put up a fight, and they're not going to defend himself, and you know, the, this point or themselves. This point, Jesse's not really. You know, they they would continue on if the group never arrived. They would continue on until one of them died. Right. Um, Carol's not that at all. Carol's not even close to a victim. Um, yeah. So so maybe I guess there's the well. Okay, I can't. You know that she's a snake, and I I can't fight a snake sort of thing. Whereas Carol's a pup, or uh, Jesse's a puppy dog in comparison. But but no, that makes a little bit of sense because it, it it is kind of a little bit hard to see him fight Rick and. I mean, he got his ass kicked eventually, but he held his own for a little bit at least. Yeah, yeah, no, I. But I, I just, I, I mean, I, I forgive him of that because I like that scene so freaking much that. No, it was, it was, and then the dropping of the of the the glass dish yeah. after she left, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, but the, but again, I I like that too because I really think that helps spur on the spur on the uh, um sort of climax. Yeah, yeah, and the the whole thing with the sword at the end, yeah, like that was that was just out of out of nowhere, man, like yeah. Just all of a sudden they killed Eric Clapton. Yep, another brilliant choice. Which is, you know, I call him Eric Clapton because he looks just fucking like Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Clapton, architect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, man. Like, I... It, it is one of my favorite shows. Um, it is, which is funny because there was a point, I don't know, it's probably season two. Season two is when the show went through the most political bullshit too, but... Um, season two was really hard to watch, I thought. And then season three, I, I really got tired of 
not the governor storyline, but how they did the governor storyline. Like, I think when they came back, I don't know, was it was season... season three, probably. When they... the governor wasn't in season two, except for at the very end, I think. When they came back after either, either one of the season breaks, or maybe it was or one of the mid-season breaks, I can't remember which, when they came back and they sort of gave the governor a backstory, that to me was when the show got really interesting again. Like that, And that was really weird. Like you're talking about when he met um, uh, Tara and yeah, yeah, that yeah, that was that was kind of weird. Um, there, and there's been a couple. I want to say the the mid season premiere was kind of like that. Yeah, it was a really bizarre episode, and it was it was shot kind of in a in a more avant garde, yeah, artsy artsy way. And I didn't I didn't care for it as much because it's just I feel as an audience we know what the show is at this point. Yeah, and we just want to see it. Yeah, and and I mean you can do cool stuff, but it doesn't have to necessarily look like an art piece. When yeah, you do it. Don't make it distracting. Right. There, there's sort of an aesthetic already to the show. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 try and make it something that's not. But I don't know. I just I like that storyline, and then of course that led up to the whole, the whole end of the governor storyline, which was really interesting. And I thought they they did some pretty good stuff after that too. And that's really sort of when Rick's. Uh, um, moral objection ability began which to me is now kind of what the heart of the show is right now like the heart of the show i think is really the question of whether or not rick's a good guy or or is quickly becoming the question of whether or not rick is a good guy i think still it it, it's still definitely like 60 40 rick's positive versus negative but well i i think what we're going to find is rick is rick is the guy that rick needs to be right at any given moment and that's the 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 penultimate survivor, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just glad he's not crazy anymore. Yeah. That whole thing with the telephone for a while—they was... dragged that way longer in the comics. I think that's still ha- we're. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he. I don't know, it may come back, but I think he just gave that up in like in book number eighty or ninety or something like that. Yeah, I I remember it not being too much different in time from the from the show. Yeah. You know, that these things were happening, or it could have been that's when I was reading those particular books, because I obviously wasn't wasn't up on them publication-wise until recently. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, Laurie's character in the show was was definitely a little bit irritating. Oh, God. Uh, was, Sarah Wayne Callies. I, I, I like I'm her, gonna, but her character is ridiculous. Dude, Prison Break? Fucking knocked out of the park. Yeah, as, I've as, heard that. As, as Dr. Tancredic. Um, and she was, and I don't know if she was necessarily, I mean, she was good. I'm not going to take that away from her, but I don't know if it was just her, the actors around her that made me feel differently about it. I mean, obviously they're different characters, but you know, she, she went from prison break where she was with, um, uh, uh, the hell's his name? Captain Cole. Yeah. Can I remember his name? Wentworth Miller. Yes, Wentworth Miller. Um, as as uh, Michael Schofield. And that character was brilliant. I, and I'm going to say he's he's bringing the same brilliance to, to Captain Cold, but we'll get back to that. Um, Sarah Wayne Callies, though, like her character as, as Laurie Grimes was just not as... I felt the comic book character offered a little bit more in terms of insight. It explained a little bit more, for sure. Like Shane and her... And and the whole um, deception of Shane telling her that 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 he was dead already and stuff like that, and 
They explained a little bit in the show, but not nearly as much as in the comics. Yeah, she got to be another one of those characters, and this is probably as a result of, you know, showrunners and crap like that, but she she got to be one of those characters in the the show that would just made comically stupid decision after comically stupid decision. Like, she she was annoying to watch because she, I mean, I think she's a meme, like, on the internet now, like, mother of the year for <laughs> letting Carl get lost, like, 14 times. There was a lot of things, actually, like that in, during that time frame that was just, like, almost too stupid to be a thing like um as far as like what would what would you really do you're faced with this situation you've somehow survived this long and you don't do say perimeter checks or something like almost like the group feels about the alexandria when they get there like you guys are idiots like yeah how do how have you how did you make it this long you know like Lori for me was the epitome of that um so when she died it was sort of bittersweet because you know of course you don't want to see carl's mom die but on the same time but it was kind of like well it's amazing you made it this long, you know, like, yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of feel the same way about the, the leader of, of Alexandria. Um, I don't remember her name. I don't know. Th- that was a, I don't, I keep thinking Dean, Dean was the comic equivalent. Maybe it's Mrs. Dean now. I don't remember. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't know what Monroe. I don't know. Was it Monroe? Dean Monroe. Yeah. Regardless, uh, regardless, Deanna, though, my, Deanna, my, yeah, Deanna. Deanna, yeah. So I kind of felt that she was portrayed as being a lot stronger when they yeah, first got there. Definitely. To where they're at now. And it's, it's hard for me as an audience member to watch a character like regress from such from, a high within point. a few episodes. You know, if it was over time, I could, I could get it. And, and be a little bit more on board with it, but this is just like, you know... You're we're... right, too, because it's a lot bigger of a regression. Like, uh, the comic equivalent was a weaker leader to begin with, and it was pretty obvious from the outset that a weaker leader to begin with. Yeah, and... because there was no doubt in Rick's mind when he got there that he was at some point going to be leading that community or yeah, taking or... it over. Yeah. And with this one, when they first got there, like, he was, was willing to follow their rules and go along with what they were doing right. and, and was... Not necessarily planning on taking over, but I mean, he had a plan in case, but it wasn't the plan from the get go. Yeah, it was sort of like closer to the whole Abraham storyline where Abraham was really quickly like, okay, he should be in charge type of thing. Um, that it felt a lot closer to that to me in the comics than it, did, it does in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Abraham and Eugene, could those characters be more spot on on the TV show than they were? Oh no! The From the moment I saw them too, it was like that's that exactly. I, I I don't know how you managed to turn ink and paper into actual people, but good job. It, it is the one moment where I have looked at that show and not felt like they were trying to ignore the fact that there was a comic book out there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was that was Abraham and Eugene. Yeah, no that that to me was perfect. Like they they couldn't have gotten casting better on that. So yeah. Pop culture, man. It's it's a big deal these days. I'm glad too. Yeah. 